Thank you. So we're here with uh, Clark and Andrea. Uh, who we're going to try to respect. I like how you just yell the second syllable. Andrea. <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> Let me just be, do the most Ohio thing ever right now mm. and totally botch a very nice sounding name. Uh, so you guys are um, patrons of, of the show. And uh, for those of you who do not know, because uh, if you don't know, I encourage you to go to patreon.com. That's CF. That's patreon.com slash CF. Yeah. Uh, and if you truly, though, I'm not going to do an ad here. <laughs> what am I getting? Um, anyways, uh, I've been doing these markets. Marketing inter, um, interviews based upon a course I took at a place called the University of Notre Dame. And the truth you're aware, I'm a graduate student there. And, um, okay. Anyways, uh, we, I, like, <coughs> probably within like five within like five minutes of our um, conversation, I was like, oh, we need to have you guys on the podcast. And then especially when you started to, like, just type, when you started to uh, share a bit of your story uh, with us, I was like, oh, this is a thing that, like, um, People um, need to hear about this. I really hope they'd be okay with people hearing about this because people really, really need to um, hear about this. So I, um, I don't want to put any like I don't want to say anything for you. So um, this is a terrible intro. I'm not good at this stuff at all. Yikes! But, uh, Yikes. Land <laughs> the plane. Land the plane. <laughs> no. So it's actually a pretty hard thing to do. Landing a plane. It is. <laughs> actually, landing a plane is really difficult. <laughs> like this. So this is going to be a very um, serious episode. We're going to be. I'm talking about some some pretty heavy stuff because. Um, Clark, so when I started to uh, to talk to really talk with you, I don't know, like I'm a little, I don't know what it was, but you basically said that um, I, I, like, I don't even know how you how you put this, but pretty much um, your mom was was she was she in hospice or was she like like what was going on to it was it got to a point where you had to take her in and being. And being like up in like Canada, there was her. There was a plan for her to go through a to go through a assisted suicide. Is that is that right? Uh, parts of that is correct, just okay. not quite in that order per se. Sorry. Okay, um. <laughs> nope, nope. That is fair. That is fair. So that's the, that's what we're talking about here today. Is like yeah. there is basically their their experience with that, and um, this is a thing that I think we. Um, tons of Catholics have talked about um, yeah. this. Very rarely do you ever hear anyone actually share their own their own experience of a, of a loved one who was actually facing that reality or yeah. like that like possibility. Which is why I wanted to um, uh, um, have you guys on, and I really appreciate you guys taking the time and just honestly the courage to talk about this because this is just one of those of the things that um you know we're not talking about an idea here this is an experience that you know the the two of you had and 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 this is a this is an experience that i think as our cultures uh, you guys being up up in canada us here in the united states become more post-christian i i I fear this is going to become a more common ex- experience, which is why the the very little that you've told me of of your story, I was I was in such awe of it. I'm very honored to have to um, have you guys on. So I'm gonna let I'm kind of like turn it o- like over to the two of you if you want, just kind of give a bit of background about like who you are and how you found yourself to be in like this spot. Yeah, thank sure, you. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, of course, of yeah. course. Yeah, so we live in southern Ontario, and Clark Clark's family is in, for the most part, his family is in Newfoundland. 
So for those who don't know Canadian geography, those provinces are very far apart. Um, Ontario is sort of in the middle of the country, like when you're talking east to west, but we're at the south of the country. And then Newfoundland is way in the Atlantic, like on the Atlantic coast. In the Atlantic, technically. Well, it is an island, so it is in the Atlantic. Um, And Geologically, it it has more in common with Iceland and Ireland than it does with Canada. Yeah, which is crazy. So crazy, yeah. If we were to drive there, it would take about five days, and you have to cross a ferry. So, yeah, so they're far apart, right? Um, But that is relevant to our story, which is why I'm taking a little bit of time to explain (laughs) it. Uh, So Clark grew up there. Uh, He moved to Ontario as an adult, but his siblings and nephews still live there. And um, when his mom was living, she was still there. So, yeah, so um, his mom has had, had had multiple sclerosis for several decades And she was not walking the last maybe seven to ten-ish years. Yeah, definitely. Of of her life, maybe like seven, eight. Yeah, definitely since since you had met her, I believe. Hmm. Um, Yeah, when I met her, she would do a few steps here and there, but most of her days she would get around in a scooter. Um, At the end of her life, other than the last few months, she was living independently. Uh, She had an apartment that was a little bit had wider entrances and that sort of thing was a little bit more accessible. It was actually a condo building that had previously been a, um, like a long-term care retirement home. Mm -hmm. So uh, all the units were originally just built with like a lot of space to move around in a wheelchair, which was quite a good fit. The unit was like 900 square feet for context. So small one bedroom. Um, those things will become apparent about the struggles. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, just just with my own grandfather, like I, di- I didn't really know my family at all because they lived in Philadelphia. Um, and the only one that I knew was my mom's dad who would travel down um, and, to Oklahoma and to Texas, um, uh, to Oklahoma. By the time we moved to Texas, he was infirm. Um, his mobility and mental capacity had dramatically dropped off. So then my mom had him come live with us and they turned the only downstairs bathroom or bedroom into um Something that he could use. So his uh, bed, which would eventually become a hospital-style bed, was in there. Um, You know, everything that he kind of needed in that immediate arm-length grab, you know, kind of thing. They remodeled the bathroom so that he could have, you know, the chair and all the heavy-duty handles that could support his weight. I mean, he was a six-foot-one, something like that, Uh, Navy man, you know, like – he was he was uh, uh, not a small guy, and then he came into he came into my life, and it was beautiful. Like it was a cool blessing to have someone like that. But you don't realize once you're immobile or you start to lack mobility, you don't realize how uh, all that all the thoughtful planning that goes into the architecture of a space makes you know uh, just just simple living either much worse or much better, right? So yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> like, hey, I have this room or this this apartment all to myself, and it's big, and it's you know you have all this stuff, but it's like, yeah, but you put a wheelchair in there, you put a scooter in there, and then all of a sudden, you know, your turning radius is not your hips, you know, it's this thing. Yeah. yeah. So anyhow, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So we used to go and visit roughly once a year. To Newfoundland, we'd um, yeah visit Clark's family and that sort of thing. Yeah, uh, the there were fewer visits during the pandemic. Travel, <laughs> there was a lot of travel restrictions yeah. in Canada. Yeah, and, and in particular, no one thought of that. 
<laughs> and in particular, like with Newfoundland, especially with a significant portion of the province being an island or more, um, there there were travel restrictions that were to the extent that for us, we would have to apply for a travel exemption to enter the province. So you couldn't just go in because you wanted to see the icebergs or puffins or whales um, or to get a the good puffins. feed of fish and chips. They're pretty cool. I mean, they're awesome. Uh, they, they're way cooler than penguins, I think. Um, but yeah, so it, we we would have to apply for, for a travel exemption to go there. Thankfully, uh, caring for a, a, a sick relative is definitely on there. Um, and part of the background for that is the healthcare system in Newfoundland is not as... Uh, it doesn't have as many resources as other provinces and other jurisdictions. Um, so if things got cattywampus out in, in Newfoundland with regards to to COVID, like it, it would have really like just, they wouldn't have had as much capacity to deal with it. Um, yeah. So that's yeah. part of the context. And yeah, so. Yeah. So our last visit there had been in 2019 and then we were like, oh, we can't go visit because of pandemic. Yeah. But in December, 2020, yeah. So things went down. So I'll turn it over to Clark for this. Yeah, cool. So in the middle of December, I, I, uh, I got a call before work from my brother. Uh, my siblings live in, in Newfoundland with my mom. And, um, he called me and said that my mom had a fall and, um, in the middle of the night and that she was taken to the hospital. Um, and it was the, we later found out it was quite likely that she had pretty advanced cancer. So on top of MS cancer, and it was, we found out later that her breast was basically a a tumor. The cancer hadn't metastasized, gotten large enough that the tumor, that the breast, the size of the breast was a tumor or the tumor was the size of her breast, which is pretty intense. Um, so needless to say, tons of emotions. Um, and at the time I was working at a retail shop and then Christmas things are busy and like I had to go to work. So I went to work with all this in my brain and there was something with a customer I can't really remember. And I got pissed. So I stepped out back and I muttered something like I'm taking care of the cardboard. And I took those cardboard boxes and I just hammered them. I (laughs) tore them apart. I was flattening them. I was ripping them to shreds. Like they were the cancer. And, um, Mm. um, yeah, it was just so much. And, yeah, it was it was really hard to deal with that. And, like, we had to kind of, like, given that my mom had MS, we it was always in the back of the mind, like, when her health deteriorates, what would happen? But it's it seemed like this was just a whole lot of unknown on top of that. And for context... And it's not like she was in her 80s, right? She yeah. was in her 60s. And Clark's in his 30s. I know I look yeah. terribly old, but... No, she, I was <laughs> going to say, you look great. I was going to say, Grandpa. Oh, thanks. Yeah. <laughs> no, so she's... Gosh, yeah, so... That, yeah. Um, so you're she's not expecting to hear that your mom probably has terminal cancer yeah. at yeah. that age, right? Yeah. yeah. And, um, yeah, so with that, uh, and also for context for um, my mom's spiritual reality i guess you could say at the time she had kind of turned her back on the church not kind Um, of she had she had yeah and um and the concept of god as a person quite a long time ago um which then as a christian and as a catholic thinking like my mom's dying you know that's uh, um so leading up to that point and at that point still um we had been grappling with with worry over that issue yeah. of 
like wanting our family members to know God, to know his love for them, to accept his love for them and, and be in relationship with him. Right. Yeah. And the eternal consequences and blessings of that. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's, so. a, that's a real scary oh. thing. Yeah. Yeah. That, that can be really intense. And like, we both really love spending time with my mom and the yeah. idea of not being able to spend eternity in bliss with her. That's, that is sad. Um, yeah. Um, and so immediately our minds just filled with like fear, anxiety, um, worry questions about logistics questions about what to do how to go about doing it and especially with all the travel restrictions and there wasn't a lot of communication um we it was hard to get more than like a couple of sentences over the phone with my mom at the time she was in a real bad spot um and it was just hard to to really get anything there and like so we we were our mind was turning like how can we turn into how can we actually get there and do whatever we need to do to help and immediately be there, right to spend time with her and be with yeah. her yeah yeah just to, yeah so we decided to to go um, and to try and figure out the logistics but yeah, yeah those logistics involved Clark leaving his job um, thankfully his bosses said when he got back whenever that would be he could have his job again. Yeah. But it meant yeah. turning, the, like, yeah, leaving that behind, right? Yeah. Thankfully, yeah. my job yeah. was remote at the time, so yeah. I got permission to work from a different province. Thankfully, in a time zone, that would allow me to start my days later rather than earlier. Yeah. <laughs> so she started so at, good. like, 10 a.m. instead of 8.30, which was But it, it did mean uh, a, a suitcase worth of work stuff because yeah. oh, I have yeah. a lot oh, yeah. of equipment that I had to take with me. Yeah, um, yeah. And I yeah. imagine in Newfoundland, uh, you know, they don't have electricity, so you got to <laughs> take hand cranks. Yep. And yeah, you know. Well, you there's a big story of... about our quarantine, but yeah, we, yeah. we might not yeah. go down that tangent. <laughs> that could be a B-side if you want. It's a very well, interesting nice. story. You've got <laughs> a bunch of wood fire in the basement going around on one of those uh, things to, like, keep, you know, to keep stuff moving. <laughs> yeah. Just the Dude, fact that you said fire. B-side knows that you're a true fan, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, and like Clark mentioned earlier, getting an exemption to get into Newfoundland, so we didn't even know if we were going to be allowed in the province. And then once there, we had to do a two-week quarantine, so we couldn't stay with any of the family members in case we were bringing the virus. So we had to find a place to, to quarantine for a couple of weeks and yeah. um, get a vehicle, because pu- public transit is not great in St. John's. So, Which is a charitable way to put it. Um, <laughs> very yeah. charitable. Public yeah, transportation so. is not great at St. John's, a.k.a. what typical American public transportation is <laughs> in everywhere except Denver and Portland, right? Yeah, maybe. <laughs> yeah, yeah so. so there was, like, the logistics of renting a car and not knowing where all these expenses were going to come from and who's going to take care of our house and do we change insurance stuff and how long are we going to be away, right? We had no clue. Like, yeah. is she going to pass away in two weeks? Are we going to make it? Like, is yeah. right? Because we couldn't leave until after Christmas because of Clark working in retail. And then, and then we had to do two weeks of quarantine. So it, from the time she fell until the time that we were going to be out of quarantine was almost a month, hmm. even though we Holy decided cow. to go immediately. Yeah. So that was a period of a lot of uncertainty yeah. and trying to figure out the right thing to do and making decisions with a lot of unknowns. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, so when we did get a place that was, um, sufficient for a quarantine, 
in uh, in Newfoundland. That we, allowed me to work. That allowed me to work. <laughs> the a first good place, Wi-Fi signal. Yeah, <laughs> the first place did not. <laughs> it, was, it was a bit rough, um, but it was a good learning experience, and it was absolutely stunning. It was beautiful. It was in a rural part of the province. It was. There were parts of that that is just wouldn't trade for the world. But um, when we got to the new place, which was in the city, um, the like Andrea was able to work no problem, um, and I had a lot of time on my hands, so I started to pray um, a lot, <laughs> and as I'm sure you can imagine, um, the. And like, I just got to say, like a lot of people really helped out with finding that place to stay and with getting food. So big, huge thanks to all of them. It was unbelievable. Yeah, because we couldn't good, leave, we couldn't go outside right, of the property to get food. So yeah. people were dropping things off for us. Yeah. Um, and when we when we were there, so I had mentioned to Luke when we spoke during the interview thingy, uh, marketing thingy, that I have a bit of a devotion to Saint Joseph. Um, I find he's a fantastic um, a fantastic example, especially for men, for husbands, um, for fathers, for, uh, workers, for apparently I've heard he's also a patron saint to confectioners. And Clark likes delicious. to bake. And yes. I like to bake. So that's great. Nailed it. Yeah. There you go. So I'm like, St. Joseph, you're the best. Um, I, and, I didn't uh, know what a confectioner was. So I was waiting oh. for you to say the follow <laughs> thing. And I'm like, <laughs> I was going through, I was like, what's yeah. a confection? I've heard of confection. Is that like a confection oven? And I was like, that's convection. Oh God, what am I doing here? I'm a fraud. I got to get off this quickly. <laughs> I've heard of confessor. But <laughs> forgive me of forgive me of my devil's food cake. I digress. Anyway, um, <laughs> yeah. So Saint nice. Joseph, great great patron. I, I've he's actually helped me with growing in in my um, devotion um, as a convert into Catholicism. And uh, so, and often when I pray a novena to Saint Joseph, I get answers, um, and sometimes in dreams. And, ooh, ooh, yeah. ooh, that's doubly St. joseph Yeah, seriously. Nice. Old, Saint Joseph, Old Testament Joseph, New Testament Joseph, and now you. Nice. Yeah. Before we go into the show, let's take a moment to talk about our one and only sponsor for today, the Lion and Lamb Book Club. Now, this is awesome. I have two of their boxes sitting here. This is one of those subscription boxes, but it is for Catholic children. The Lion and Lamb Club, <clears throat> Lion and Lamb. The Lion and Lamb Book Club is a Catholic children's book club that helps families to pass down the faith through character-forming bedtime stories. Each quarter, we'll send club members boxes that contain three to five books, age-appropriate and seasonally relevant, world-class stories, which I can vouch for all of that. These boxes will also contain swag, stickers, and a letter to parents on how to actually use these books to live out things like the liturgical calendar, their Catholic faith, whatever, and great conversations. Starters. You ever have a kid that you're bringing home from faith formation? What'd you talk about? Nothing. How'd you like it? It's fine. Now, this one is excellent. Now, when our Lion and Lamb book club box came so that we could do the sample for this whole, uh, for this ad read, it was so funny because my kids tore it open. I think I got Luke too, so I got two of them, which thank God, because the kids ripped the boxes open. We already owned two out of the four books that they sent, which means they're picking good stuff because I obsess over this. But it was awesome. They, My kids read all four books books all in one sitting. I mean, like they just grabbed them, went through them all and all the stickers are gone. I was able to get one sticker with the lamb on it. And I put that over my Apple logo on my keyboard or my uh, laptop. It's that good. So you get three to five books, a personalized note, conversation starters, and wonderful, joyful surprises. 
Now listen, these are timeless literary classics, undiscovered treasures, and new Catholic releases that they ensure each selection supports your efforts to raise saints in the making. While not every book is about a Catholic saint or something like that, each book's themes are guaranteed to support our Catholic Christian worldview. And let's be honest, nothing is more exciting for a kid to get a gift in the mail, especially it's from grandma or godparent or another influential Catholic person in their life. So if you've got a uh, god kid, and I have 10 trillion of them. Uh, you need, I'm the Wilt Chamberlain of Godfathers. If you have, and you're trying to figure out what the heck to get these kids, and they're and they're young kids, right? Lion and Lamb Book Club, three to five classic books, stickers, and other joyful surprises every quarter. It's awesome. Check them out. Head on over to lionandlamb.club. That's the shortest link, or you can head on over to the wonderful website, catholic.store, and then you can check out their products, and you'll see the Lion and Lamb book club all over the website, because this is an exciting new product for the catholic.store. Thank you to Lion and Lamb Club and catholic.store for sponsoring this episode of Catching Foxes. Um, but like, uh, yeah, so I was praying and through, through the novena, I, I got, um, I had a dream, um, of my mom who remember hasn't walked for years at this point. I had a dream of my mom walking down a corridor and it seemed like it was, I couldn't really quite tell the corridor. I thought it was like maybe her apartment, but she was balancing herself off the walls of the corridor. Balancing. Yeah. Like supporting herself. herself. Yeah. Yeah. So like at first I thought you said bouncing. Oh. Oh no. No, Sorry. And I was (laughs) like, this is a serious part and I don't want to interrupt, but okay. So she she was holding herself up support. Okay. Yeah. So she was walking, not perfectly well, but she was walking. And Mm. that was like it kind of disturbed me because of the hope that that holds, right? Yeah. Mm. And And because we didn't know like Oh wow! Is God going to do something miraculous and not only heal her of her cancer, but also heal her of the MS? Right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. yeah, our, our minds and hearts were going in a billion different directions with that. Yeah. One. But yeah, Clark did pray about it, and and that it. was part of it. Like I was praying for the intention of my mom's healing, and through praying about that dream as well, I could hear God say, "If my mom dies a natural death, you can trust in my mercy and my grace." So. I guess technically it was God saying, if, if your mom dies a natural death, you can trust in my mercy and grace. So it's <laughs> kind of big. So I, I prayed more and we received a good amount of consolation and confirmation that that dream was basically truth. Um, well, that it was from God, right? Yeah, that it was from God, that it wasn't my own imagining, my own uh, wishful thinking. Um, and so that, thankfully, the quarantine allowed for that to happen, for me to, uh, to get that message, to have that hope, to hold on to for hope. And we were basically like, okay, God, whatever happens, <laughs> you do your thing. Um, you give us the strength and we'll do everything. Like, And, yeah, so that was one of the big things that came from the quarantine um, was that, that message uh, and yeah. So then after that, we, we moved in with, with my mom in her 900 square foot one bedroom bedroom. apartment. And, uh, we would sleep on a pullout couch and home care workers would be there from 8am till about 10pm. Well, that was the good hours when we first moved in, they were coming Mm. earlier than that and staying past that. Yeah. 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 Which was rough. Um, (laughs) 
give an idea because who know who, who can really count 900 square feet i can't um <laughs> it was small enough that if my mom like everything could be heard and we could hear things in like two apartments down the hall oh. and across it was pretty tiny and it was so small that we had google nests like the nest mini thing set up so that my mom uh could call like get it to broadcast to, like clark get up and i would hear her say okay broadcast clark get up and then uh, <laughs> i got before, it, Ma. I got it. <laughs> i'm coming i'm coming yeah <laughs> another little piece of this is that before we got out of quarantine i had told clark I can't do this if we're going to be staying in that apartment. Yeah. yeah. Because we had every other time that we had come to Newfoundland, it was on vacation. And so staying with her was awesome, right? Like it's time off. We're hanging out. That's great. But it's a totally different story to be working. Yeah. Sharing the same space with not only Clark and his mom, but also home care workers. Um, And it's not like the living room is separated from the dining room is separated from the kitchen. Like those are all one space. Open concept. Um, And (laughs) it's the worst. (laughs) So stylish. So painful. And as we've heard, I need a lot of sleep. So the idea of not getting enough sleep, um, to be honest, was scary to be the idea of functioning human being. Yeah. Yeah. Doing your job, you know. Right. Exactly. Without sleep and constantly surrounded by healthcare stuff and not having any privacy and those sorts of things. I just imagine you are in her kitchen and you have like the oven open. It's one of the wall (laughs) ovens and that's your desk. And you have like, like, you open the oven and it's all set up with like books and stuff. Like, we'll make this work. We'll make this work. (laughs) No, I was on the dining room table at one end and one of the home care workers would sit at the other end doing her master's class. But (laughs) yeah, she the home care worker was doing a master's Um, and would be on online classes while Andrea was working on the other end of the same table. Did you at least learn anything? <laughs> we like, learned a ton of things. Open heart surgery. It's great. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. We learned, okay, so we learned how to forgive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We learned patience. Uh, yeah. yeah. Okay. The so hard way. On, yeah, you're a five day drive from home. You don't know how long you're going going to like, you know, to be there. It's the height of COVID. And like the Lord speaking to you through dreams. Um <laughs> like how and then, and then, and then, I mean, all that's, and then, I mean, you're there because of your mom, who's going through this like horrible terminal illness, along with MS. How do you like? Because I, I don't know if, if I don't know if, if this is a good time for us to start to ask things, or if you just want to kind of like to talk about your story, we can just kind of toss it. I'm gonna go, like tossing stuff here and there, so I, I don't want to like you know, whatever's best with what. what, what um, we can do whatever's best for you guys. So if you feel more comfortable just kind of saying, let me just kind of I'm sure the whole thing. And We did pray Either that the spirit would fine. lead. So yeah. if you feel the spirit okay. leading you to okay. ask a question, I guess goes for it. And cool. we can use those as uh, jumping points to yeah. like go into different Great. parts yeah. of the story. Because it's yeah. a long story. <laughs> That's the podcaster way. Uh, so how do you like – do you start to have a do you start to have a schedule? Do you like how do you get through the day-to-day of just that? Yeah. So before we answer that question, I think there's one piece that we should describe about what it was like to, once we started actually staying with her. Sure. Yeah. 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 
because um, one key piece of it is that Clark became a primary caregiver. Yeah. When we first went, we didn't know if we were just going to spend a last couple of days with her. Oh, wow. Right? Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Or whether we would be helping to take care of her. Yeah. So, yeah. so it turned out that our role was to help take care of her. Yeah. Um, and Clark became primary caregiver. Because she was bedridden, um, it meant a lot of things bringing the food helping her get changed helping her uh, get things and also being company Mm -hmm. and helping her work through the emotions of what was going on and yes we did mention there was home care but um it it, clark would still be asked where's the orange juice in the fridge (laughs) um (laughs) so in the bottle called orange juice (laughs) Yeah, or even because of the MS, she hadn't been sleeping well for years. Like, her legs would start spasming at night, and that would really irritate her, and she couldn't... She gradually didn't have the strength to move her legs. Like, I mean, her legs on their own wouldn't move, but before she would move her legs with her arms, like, she would pick up her leg and move it in a different position Mm -hmm. in order to be more comfortable. Um, but because she was bedridden for a while, her muscle tone went down real fast Yeah, and she wasn't getting physiotherapy at the hospital or maybe once or twice, but like over weeks, that's not enough. Um, so she wasn't doing the day-to-day tasks that keep your upper body functioning. Yeah. So slowly she was losing the ability to do things with her arms just because she didn't have the strength. So then she would call Clark to move her leg. Yeah. So there was this one time that the two of us were quietly praying the rosary in the living room. And within the first, like, decade, she had called out to Clark four times. Yeah. So eventually he's like, you just finish it on your own. Yeah. Um, yeah. So bef- <laughs> now that <laughs> so, we have a little bit of that context, how did we manage a schedule? It's tempting to say we didn't. Um, there were things that definitely <laughs> created a schedule for us, like in the day's work schedule. Yeah. Um, and then, um, and then also just my mom's physical needs as well, and with the hours the home care workers were scheduled to come in, that basically created the schedule for us. Yeah. Um, and just kind of went from there. Um, eventually, we. Well, and, and other things like needing to get groceries, needing to get uh, prescriptions filled, all that stuff. And yeah, so it, it felt like our schedule was half scheduled and just chaos. Um, yeah, and that's kind of how it went for the first little bit. But at least there was some stability in the evening in, in the sense of around supper time, a home care worker would come and he was fantastic. Um, even though they're not professionally trained, uh, PSWs or nurses, um, this guy was fantastic. Uh, he was, he offered a whole lot of, uh, emotional support and encouragement that I think my mom definitely needed. And, um, yeah, he was very attentive and gentle and, um, yeah, treated her with a lot of love yeah, yeah. Like, a yeah. lot of a lot of dignity a lot of love yeah and he we found out later that he had lost his mom and didn't get to say goodbye to her oh. like he was in uni- he was in his undergrad and it was kind of kept from him um oh 
and because they didn't want him to worry about it. They wanted him to do his exams. And when he's, it was like, she, she had passed away when he got there and he could have had seen her. Um, so I think that kind of was definitely something that it, he, he definitely knew the need of caring for, for my mom and offering that presence and that love for her. And, um, he was also a very good listener and would engage with whatever topics and, a lot of what the home care workers would do is just kind of be there for hours and like whatever. And he, he would be willing to chat and my mom would love to chat. Like when he, when my mom met Andrea, the afterwards, the, one of the first things she said to me was like, I like her. She talks. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. There you go. She was, yeah. His mom was very social. She really liked people. Spending time with people. I mean, that's one of the things that you hear so often is like, they're just so profoundly alone. Yeah, and yes. people don't know how to talk to older people at that stage of life, or you know, chronically ill, terminally ill. They don't. It makes us uncomfortable, and so we don't know how to deal. And it's like, just talk to me like a human being, you know, and try to carry on a conversation as best you can. And people don't because they're so uncomfortable with it. We and we're only making ourselves more uncomfortable with end yeah. of life, you know, all that stuff. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. So at this point, like in, in January and February, we were also, it seemed like there was going to be, she was going to start um, seeing an oncologist mm. and she was going to get treatment. It a took lot five of, weeks before she got her oncologist appointment. Yeah, five <laughs> weeks. So that was kind of tearing at her patience, at her hope. Um, and like she kept just wanting to be better. And I remember my mom saying at one point, like, thankfully there were some times to have conversations. And at one point, she said that it was incredibly hard for her to accept the fact that she was lovable, that, um, that she struggled with love. She admitted that she struggled with loving herself, um, and asked how on earth she could be, could be lovable just for the fact of being alive. Like that just because Clark was presenting that and she was like, how, how can that make any sense? Yeah. Like just the fact that you exist is it is like you as you are you god loves you just because you're you you don't need to do anything to earn his love the fact that you exist is an example of his love for you and um and like she she was like how can i be lovable even though i have ms and i have cancer i can't walk i can't work and work was a big thing for my mom and she was like really she wanted to go back to work she and she was struggling to find joy in life. Um, and she couldn't see that people would delight in her and in being with her, which just, I mean, it breaks her heart, right? Like to think that somebody like, like how, how heartbreaking that is to think like, I can't love myself. And I don't, I don't see that other people can enjoy being around me. Like, yeah. I think that's, that's one of those things that's like uh, I think often of uh, Benedict's line that like not only is it good that we exist, but it is necessary that we that we exist that we are necessary. And I think if you're um, a person unlike your mom who is at a point where she has you know has um cancer, has MS, can't work, can't you know it's just like what like how she was. I'm saying I just this is just all I've got. Like it's 
that's the temp- like that's I think I think why that that idea is so hard for us to wrap our minds around because every even if like we can sit here and just um, and as much as we can say like of course like you exist is just the fact that you exist means you are necessary that you are good. It, it's almost like a not not that it's a foreign um concept, but like even as um Christians, how often do we have to remind ourselves of 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 that? Yeah. Yeah, that's been a very you know. hard thing for me to believe about myself. Yeah. 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 Well, we individually we have to remind ourselves that like every day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and that's why we in Catholicism we don't just talk about one single conversion moment, right? Yeah. Because mm-hmm. our hearts can be converted to different aspects of God or to yeah. different depths of truth. Yeah. And so um yeah, so our faith journey is one of continually going deeper and learning more and more what his love for us means. So even if I had been practicing Catholic for a while, like the lesson of God delights in me is is one of the ones that, yeah, that came a little bit later. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, the, and the, like the reconciliation between like God, I didn't have to exist. God willed me into mm-hmm. existence. Yeah. And I don't bring any sort of completion to God, right? Like he's infinitely perfect and blessing himself. So what do I bring to God? Well, you bring to God the fact that he desires to share his his eternal life with you. That's what that's bringing God's joy to completeness is, you know? And for us not not understanding that, not apprehending that like it's almost it, it's part of the gospel, right? Like that God loves you so much that even in the midst of not just sheer existence, but negative existence, it's like sin. Like that's where, that's what the gospel is. Christ pursues us even in the midst of our self-hatred, rightly or wrongly deserved, you know, like, um, and, and it reminded me of a psychologist who said, I don't deal with narcissists. The vast majority of people I deal with are people who they hate themselves and they can't see past their own self-hatred. And, you know, when you got St. Thomas Aquinas saying something like, um, the the love of self i think he was talking about in self defense but he said the love of self is the beginning of all morality right you're taking care of yourself your body your family you know all this stuff and you know when you have people who brutally hate themselves or find themselves uh are indifferent to what value they god desires them to 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 see a whole host of things can follow and it's usually not good yeah yeah and like one of the so one of the things that really helps me is the, the uh, Saint Irenaeus. He's one of the younger doctors of the church, as in like appointed most recently, yeah. uh, like alive, pretty dang old, <laughs> long ago. <laughs> yeah. um, his recapitulation theory, mm-hmm. I think that's what it's called, of like God. Even if even if sin had never occurred, God would still want to be, would still want to incarnate. He just loves us so much. He said, I just want to be with you guys. Like, that sounds so cool. God's just like, I want to spend time with you. Let's hang out. Yeah. Let's do Let's something. Let's get a pizza and some beer. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Where are you going? Exactly. Oh. Like, that's so beautiful. And it, I, I think like that. It's true, exactly. Uh. Well, you know, it's funny, like, uh, you know, so growing up with, like, my dad was disabled for my entire life. And, you know, he worked for maybe like a year of my life if that and there's a i i even find that i'm not embarrassed by that fact but there is this element of like oh this is hard to explain 
like, like you know, it just it, it kind of it feels like a thing that you have to explain, yeah. As opposed to just a thing that I could state, and for whatever, and again, it's not an embarrassment. It's just a, I, I don't. Um, for me, it's just it is more of a feeling of defense, almost. You know, of having to defend. Like, let me just tell you, yeah. like, just so you know, it wasn't weird. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. like, and because it, it wasn't weird to me. Like, you know, it wasn't weird. It was just yeah. normal life. Um, there are some things in hindsight that are kind of funny and weird, but like you know, that's just uh, that like both uh, me and my sister says laugh and laugh and laugh at. But uh, it 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 is a sort of like a um, it it's a thing that like we I we just we don't have a common language for how to talk about this. Like you know, I think we're just we're all trying to like not like dance around it, but we're all trying to like unpack it a bit. So so how long of a time is there from when you guys are like? You're so you've been there for a month. You are then starting to live um, with your mom. Is it then how like how long until she goes sees the oncologist? So because of the nature of COVID and all that at, at in Newfoundland at the time, uh, the oncology appointment was going to be virtual. <laughs> and there were a couple of things that kind of got in the way. <laughs> like there was a freaking storm, a freaking blizzard got in the way. And it was like people couldn't because the oncologist had to do the call from from the office at the at the hospital, and this the blizzard was so bad the oncologist couldn't get nobody could get to the to the bloody office in the hospital. So like it had to get rescheduled, and so, so things it was like, like that. the third week of January. I think was the first time she spoke with an oncologist. Yeah. And that day was actually very good because the oncologist um, told her that there was a treatment that she could take yeah, and that it wasn't chemo and it wasn't radiation. It was like a, a hormone pill. Yeah. It was a pill. Um, so that gave her a lot of hope. But yeah. then she started crunching the numbers of the cost and she got very scared and going through insurance. Yeah. Eventually, insurance came back saying they would cover most of it. Eventually, the prescription was filled. So it took a really long time before the medications actually started, like before she started taking them. I think it wasn't until, I don't know, early February. Yeah. And she had fallen in mid-December. Yeah. And and so during all that, we were just trying to manage everything we could to um, make her quality of life as enjoyable as possible. Um, Like And like the suppers with the home care worker there, uh, we're actually pretty great. My mom absolutely loves loves food, and so being not being from Canada, the home care worker was exposed to like apparently new foods uh, like pumpkin pie and uh, <laughs> and apple pie, and I was it was just a, such a delight. Like my my mom, <laughs> we both really love food too, and and drink, and so it was just like these wonderful meals together. And we would basically make her bedroom. There was like a small love seat couch. So two two seat couch that could fit into that bedroom. So we had that there, and we had a little end table, and we we tried to make it kind of like a restaurant experience for my mom because that was one of the things she was like, I just want to go and go out for supper, you know, I just want to go out go go to go to supper with people and and talk, and so that's what we basically tried to do, and we would also watch shows that she would want to see. Like a big thing for her were, were the baking shows, like the. Great British Bake Off and the nice. Great Canadian Baking Show, and uh, one of the Canadian seasons started that February, so we started to watch it with her and with uh, the home care worker who was there, and that was that was quite nice. It was a good experience and stuff. 
but then things were, it, it was starting to be clear to my mom that it was hard. And I mean, as much as we love my mom and as much as we would do absolutely anything for her, the body is weak, right? Like the spirit is willing, but the body is weak. And it was just, it was draining and it was getting to us. The hours were hard. Um, yeah. Our health was kind of dovetailing. I have a kind of a restrictive diet and I couldn't really keep up with it. Um, so his gut was feeling awful. Yeah. Um, he had headaches almost every day. He wasn't sleeping. Yeah. His feet were killing him. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> so I got those. His, like the, 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 the pullout couch was barely big enough for him to like his feet were hitting the end. Um, we didn't have any alone time or much privacy. So the way we would communicate with each other when we had sensitive things to say was to sit next to each other on the couch with a laptop. One of us would type, we would pass it to the other person, (laughs) read and respond in writing. Yeah. (laughs) So (laughs) we had a little thing where we like, cause the home care worker would be sitting two feet away. Yep. Two feet away. And, and and his mom was close enough to hear everything too, right? Yeah. And yeah. we didn't want her to worry about how we're going to pay for the rental car yeah. for another month. You know, we didn't want her to worry about this, that, or the other thing. Because yeah. um, she had enough on her plate. I must say, thankfully, at the beginning, so, after, so during quarantine, we weren't allowed to go to church. But after quarantine until, I think earlier mid-February, we were able to go to mass and we were able to get the home care workers to definitely be there for an hour. And so we could go to mass. And that was wonderful because in Ontario leading up to that, there were only allowed, I think we were at the point where we could only have 10 people at church at a time. So there was very little mass attendance because we just couldn't. So being able to go to mass was a, a huge reprieve for us and a huge source of strength. Yeah. But then that got taken away when uh, COVID numbers started numbers. increasing yeah. midwinter. So then we went into a period of lockdown. Yeah. So then on top of everything else we were dealing with, we couldn't access the sacraments. We couldn't be fed by the Eucharist. Yeah. Um, and we couldn't see Clark's siblings as much. They weren't coming over as much because of uh, the situation. Yeah. And like the Clark still had a few friends in town from when he used to live there and... Um, they weren't visiting anybody either. So we became very isolated. Yeah. <laughs> um, it was basically like the three of us and the home care workers. And <laughs> then on top of that, In 900 square feet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And my job requires confidentiality. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so very, <laughs> the utmost of confidentiality. Yeah. Well, maybe so, so we were struggling, right? Like yeah. It, yeah. it was tough. It yeah. was very hard. And there were times that we didn't know how we were going to get through it, um, yeah. but we kept trying. What's incredible is um, prayer life actually increased. Yeah. It's it's strange how when life is hard, one prays more, or that can't yeah. happen. When life is easy, it's harder to pray sometimes. And yeah. So we kind of lived off of that. Yeah. I started <laughs> being really, really strict with myself to do morning prayer because yeah. I knew I needed it. Yeah. And we had um, friends and family praying for us. And so there was this very strong concept of I'm living in circumstances that I do not rationally think I can survive. And yet I am surviving. Therefore (laughs) it is God. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. This is literally something I am incapable of doing. (laughs) 
must be God. Yeah, because because part of, Clark mentioned earlier that it was hard for his mom emotionally. That was making it hard for us too, right? Yeah. yeah. When when you're with somebody day in and day out who's down, like not just down, but like despairing. Yeah. Um, yeah. It takes emotional strength to not go down yourself too. Yeah. So to and maintain hope, to maintain joy when you're constantly surrounded by complaints yeah. um, or by disparaging comments. Yeah. Yeah. And she, it's not like she was constantly telling us, oh, I'm so grateful you're here. This is, uh, we really appreciate it. Like, no. Yeah. Um, I remember. The uh, affirmation had to come from each other. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I remember hearing this amazing story of this American guy who goes to Mother Teresa's um, house in Kolkata, right? And he's sitting there, and he's thinking, like, oh, I'm so holy. Look at all this. I spent thousands of dollars on plane tickets. I'm coming here. I'm working with Mother Teresa. And then she said, all right, I want you to go into that room and feed um, feed the people there. And he would go, and he would take this fruit, and he, it was like a grapefruit, and he would peel the peel back for him, and he would give it to him. And the guy would take a slice, chew it up in his mouth, and spit it in his face. And he would do that over and over again. And he, this is like the first person, the first day he's working there and doing all the stuff with the missionaries of charity. And he's like, you know, I'm just going to go home. I'm just going to go home. I'm done with this crap because it is so overwhelming. But then, you know, and then he gets to know the person and he talks to some of the missionaries of charity. And they're like, he is in severe chronic pain all the time. And his family abandoned him. And we picked him up out of a gutter. Like, give the guy a break. And uh, also, you did the peel wrong. It's too, uh, it had too much of the rind still on it. And the guy couldn't chew it. So that the guy thought, like, oh, here's another person screwing me over. <laughs> the only food I get to eat today, I'm going to spit it right back in your face. So the guy learned, like, yeah. yeah he's and, and then the woman just said, and no one will ever thank you here. Just realize that. Maybe their last breath as they're, you know, you're giving them dignity back. They'll say thank you, but very few people ever thank you. And you're like, yeah, this is the reality of uh, of care, primary care people is you, you're constantly giving. You want to be positive for them even when you're like yeah, you're yeah. running on empty, you know? Yeah. So one of the little lessons – well, it's not a little lesson, but one of the lessons that I learned was to not take my suffering and then wear it as a badge or to try and get accolade, accolades – from it, like to say, look at all the things I'm doing, look at all my suffering, like yeah. you should tell me I'm awesome, or like you should, or like, how tired me. I look. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, yeah. I had to learn not to do that and instead see those moments as yeah. opportunities to be with Christ, mm-hmm. to, to be with Him because He got attacked despite doing great things right and he also didn't get gratitude for a lot of what he did and i mean we could go on and that so like to to share in his experience in a way but also the opportunity to serve him yeah through serving my mother-in-law yeah um so so instead of being resentful of all these bad things to try and change my heart to actually be grateful for the opportunity um to be unified with christ yeah yeah and um one of the things that became a little more clear even though there were some discouraging things that my mom would say there was reasons why she was saying it right like she's going through some hard stuff 
Yeah. And she's had a history of people just being jerks to her. Mm. Like, um, we haven't mentioned my dad, um, because they had a bit of a, a bit of a messy divorce. Um, not the messiest of divorces. Um, but that marriage broke. Um, we found out after that there was another guy that, uh, was like, Oh, I love you and I'll marry you. And he kind of disappeared and she saw him and he acted like she never knew her. Oh, cheesy Pete. That is awful. Yeah. That is awful. And like her own father. And then, so it's like, of course she does. It's hard for her to trust. She's trying to keep herself defended. Like she's, she has like a carapace of defense, uh, to against us abandoning her, turning away, running on empty and just going back home. Right. So there's a lot of reason for that. But man, was that hard. How long are you guys on the with her until things start getting, I mean, they're bad, but like, oh, she, like, when do things start to take a turn? So in February, after the appointment with the oncologist, because it was like, that was one of the things that was holding her together or like the end of January that was holding her, her hopes up. She was like, I can see an oncologist. The oncologist appointment was great. The prescription was going to get filled. She was going to start the prescription, like the, the medication, the treatment for the, for the cancer. And then that didn't really work too well. Or it didn't work quickly. It didn't work quickly. Right. right? Like, so her hopes were like, I thought I would be in the back of her mind. She was hoping to get back to work. Mm -hmm. She was hoping to, you know, have, have more independence again. Um, Yep. Yeah, and there was a concern in her mind about how is she going to pay this after she retires, like whether her work insurance would cover the cost yeah. after mm-hmm. she retired. Yeah. Um, so, so is is that not and, sorry? Just just ask a quick thing about that. Is that not then covered under Canadian medicine? Like <laughs> so, under, like, there's socialized medicine. Uh, oh, so, so the question. Canadian that's a good question. The Canadian medical system is universal access to healthcare, not universal coverage of healthcare. Basically, oh, okay. so all the okay. oncologist appointments were covered by the provincial health insurance, but okay. prescriptions and medications, some of them are covered by the provincial health insurance, and some aren't. So mm, these okay, okay. medications um, did not fall under what's covered by the government. They fell under um, her private insurance through work. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And um, so that that's kind of what, where, where that was. And there are certain things that stipulate like that it would be covered by the government and then other things wouldn't. So there was like a period of 12 or eight or 12 weeks of home care that would be covered. But then after that, there was a big question. And that big question in her mind, that that big question in her mind of how are we going to pay for this was starting to weigh on her a lot. And um, especially because at that point she thought maybe she had years to live. Right. Yeah. Because even though the medication wasn't going to cure the cancer, it was going to um, reduce the tumors and um, manage the symptoms Mm -hmm. if it worked for a while. And yeah. possibly yeah. years, right? Yeah. So she was trying to figure out how she can afford all those things, it, yeah, for for a long period of time. Yeah. So middle of February, Clark was burnt out. We were both really struggling. And yeah. we had uh, a video call with his siblings. His siblings live in St. John's, but because of the lockdowns, we did it over video. So we were sitting with his mom, and they were on video. And the purpose of the conversation was to talk about, okay, what can we change about this living situation so that Clark doesn't burn out? 
whether it's rejigging the hours, getting more home care, changing um, how his siblings would be involved, or whether she would go to a long-term care facility. Um, so St. John's, unfortunately, at the time, didn't have a hospice, so yeah. that wasn't an option. But also, a hospice is for people who are dying, right? And at that point... Yeah. She yep. wasn't thinking, I'm dying. It was, I'm, try- I'm, I'm waiting trying for this cancer medication to kick in and work. Mm-hmm. But the idea of like a, an assistive living facility or something like that. Yeah. So we had a very difficult conversation of exploring these options. And in that conversation, she said, I don't want the them, the home care workers and the government, to get all of this money. Why don't I just go with medical assistance and dying and you guys get the money. Yeah. I'd ra- she said, I'd rather give, yeah, she, she wanted, she would rather give the money to us through her estate than give it to the government for all the services, all yeah. this healthcare yeah. cost. And that was heavy. Yeah. Yeah. So, that was brutal to hear. And I, we all just like basically just, it was like the air just came out of the room. It was just heavy. And I just said, I don't want the money. I want my mom. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah, yeah, 100%. I don't care how much her, her pension would be worth. I don't care how much. Yeah. It's like, it, it means nothing. You know? Yeah. Like, it's, it's, <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, it, 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 that, 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 I like. I remember my brother saying on, on the call, like, to, to, the, to the thing about money, he was like, that's not an issue. Just like, no mom. <laughs> yeah, stop doing that. Yeah. yeah. Well, parents feel, they don't want to feel like a burden to their own children, right? And I hear that so often. And that's the great conflict in their own hearts is like, no, 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 no. I'm the parent. I'm supposed to take care of you. And now you're doing this to me. And now I'm not going to be able to leave a legacy for you or a help for you. And it's all this guilt that we have that we build up with this. And it's like, hey, don't worry. You know, we, we got a job, we got things happening, you know, she's on the oven, uh, you know, uh, doing her (laughs) remote, uh, work. we got this, it's good. But what ends up happening is they just feel that like, I I had one elderly guy say to me, um, you know, when he's talking about his retirement and the millions that he had, he said, I know there's a part of me that needs to keep money in retirement, you know, just for my own medical expenses and stuff as I get older. But there's another part of me that I just want to spend it all on my grandkids and my kids and to be able to bless them. And that impulse, you know, no matter how small that quote unquote, you know, nest egg or whatever might be, they think like, that's the last way I can care for them. But the reality is it's like, I mean, this is the the scriptural witness is like honor your father and mother, even when they grow old and can no longer take care of themselves. And it's like, this is a part of life that, you know, it's almost like, um, it's almost like the frailty of old age is like a natural fight against pride. Like at some point you have to either succumb to pride or let pride succumb to humility. And, um, and now we're institutionalizing the ability to um, let pride win, you know, with, um, you know, all these things Pope John Paul says, you know, what used to be considered heinous crimes are now tolerated as rights. And, um, and it's terrifying because then when that becomes part of the culture, it's like, well, yes, this is obviously 
what I'm going to do here. And you're like, no, 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 no. That's yeah. Yeah. And, and there the... was a difference of opinion in the family as to who should be carrying the burden of care. Yeah. So some of the family members were saying, oh, isn't it awful that the government doesn't provide more hours, more coverage for home care or whereas we were saying, like look, like, sure, that might be helpful, but it's a different type of help than a family mm-hmm. member. Yeah. Like there's, it's, it's a deeper relationship. Like we know what her joys are. We know what, what brings her happiness and her, you know, like it's different to be in your own home with your family and the bond that grows is just incredible, which is a a big part of the story after the next few weeks. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Uh, But just to, to go back on the money piece in retrospect, I regret worrying so much about it and I regret Mm -hmm vocalizing that worry in front of her. Yeah. I wish I had had more trust and been more at ease about that in order to witness to her that that wasn't important. Yeah. But in that moment, at least we, we told her and hopefully our actions showed that we were willing to, to make those expenses and those sacrifices. And we did tell (laughs) her like, no, like we, we hear that you're suffering and that this is hard. But we are here to help carry those struggles with you as best we can. We're not booking a plane ticket back to Ontario. Yeah. We're staying here as long as you need us. Yeah. Which was, I mean, yeah, it was really, that, that was one of the big challenges. And um, in some ways, the complications with COVID actually made it easier to do it because of the remote work. So, and that I was able to allow a supply of funds to come into our bank account so that I could be there and, you know, get her orange juice when she wants it. Or And eventually EI came in. So we learned while we were there that there's a caregiver benefit. Yeah. So, so I got got a little bit of money coming in. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, the, yeah. So with that conversation, it was incredibly heavy and, but at least it was out there because we found out that she had actually been considering this, I don't know if a year or two or multiple years previously. Yeah. So this wasn't new. So at that time, we were also getting her out of the bed and into her scooter just to get out into the living room for a few, like an hour a day. And she'd turn on the TV and she had a PVR to record the news. Sometimes the news likes to share stories about people going ahead with this um, thing. And there was one story and I knew it was coming up and I was like, good Lord, I do not want this to be seen. I don't want this to be put in my mom's head. And it was about someone who was a cancer survivor who went remission and then she went ahead with it. And like, there's all this language of, you know, courage. And which, dignity, dying and with dignity. Dying right? to, yeah, and it's like, how is that courageous? I don't know. I really don't because, know. Yeah, like avoiding suffering actually isn't courageous. Yeah. And dying with dignity is based on the concept that your dignity is lost if you are suffering or if you can't be productive. But that's not the Christian definition of dignity, right? Yeah. We believe, and the church teaches, that a person has dignity, like we said earlier. Yeah. By virtue of being, by existing, right? By by being alive. So regardless of whether a person is working or not working, able to do their daily needs on their own or not, does not change whether a person has dignity or not. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, yeah. Anyway, so yeah, so that was that was one thing that was just like every so often it'd be on the news, and I'd be like, I I was so tempted to be like, oops, turned off the TV with the remote, oops, you know, just because like I don't want to put that, I don't want that in her head. But hey, Mark, we're talking about was. podcast right right now. I just want to turn this off for just a second. Have you heard about podcast? Doesn't have, have you heard of this guy one? named Trent Horn? Yeah. He is amazing. <laughs> Luke thinks he's garbage, but Gomer is obsessed with him. I don't know. Anyways, uh, <laughs> thinks he's garbage. That's a human person luke sorry it's true with a great head of hair yeah it does have nice hair uh so when you're like um is it common to for people to talk about that as an option or i think it's becoming more nowadays yes okay yeah i think yeah actually my colleague brought it up at a work meeting casually just last week so yes um apparently i haven't verified the stat but um she was saying that 10,000 people went ahead with it last year in Canada. In 2021. So that's a lot, right? Yeah. Yeah. And earlier I used the phrase medical assistance in dying. So just a note about that. That's the current. That's the legislation. Yeah. That's the the wording that's used in the legislation. Personally, I think it's um, deceptive, right? Yeah. I mean, we try to clean it up and you involve uh, fancy doctors with their fancy lab coats and, and scrubs and all that stuff. And, you know, the, the, I I always say this, like, part of catching foxes is understanding, like, the cultural stuff of things. And I tell people this all the time when we talk about euthanasia, right, in particular. You are asking people who are icons of health and life and, you know, body, you know, saviors of the body and all this stuff. And you are asking them to become nothing other than death dealers in cruel, cold, mechanical ways that – um that by their coldness look more sophisticated and more um, and, and more detached and indifferent and oh this is you know whatever and it's a, just a procedure it's just a medical procedure like all other medical procedures and by doing that like the cultural ramifications just like with um, surrogacy right and you know what are you talking about these people have they can't have kids. You're enabling someone to have kids. Surrogacy is great. But, like, culturally, you know, someone carrying someone else's baby or, or however you're, someone's particular brand of surrogacy, it leads to these bizarre responses or bizarre ways of viewing life at its beginnings, right? So then it becomes, like, my next-door neighbor thinking it's her Christian duty to pay some woman to carry her kid. And then her daughter being like, no, my first child I'm giving to you, mom. So you can have your own baby. And it's like, that's your baby. Stop saying that. That is your, you don't get to give a kid away. That kid has a right to mom and dad. Stop doing that. And then at the end of life, sorry, go ahead. No, no, I was just gonna say at at the end of life, you just have the same thing where like, it becomes like, Oh, well it's just for people who have their, their pain levels out of 10 all day, every day, all the time. They're going to die in three weeks. And then you go, okay, fine. Well, in those extreme, very few cases, and then, you know, a month later, it's like, well, I just, you know, I lost my job. I want, I had this, and my quality of life has gone down because that becomes the standard. The standard is, is the apprehension of what I call valuable life, not in, in only in a subjective way. And so then it becomes, you know, a right to do this thing. And then it just manifests itself culturally in horrible ways. And that pattern is showing in Canada, right? Like at yeah. the beginning, they're saying it's only going to be in these very narrow circumstances. And well, look at that. It's only been a few years and they've already expanded the criteria. Yeah. And it looks People like with mental and it looks illnesses, like it'll expand not more. just physical suffering. Right. So it's, it's already expanding. Yeah. yeah. Like next year. Yeah. 
Yeah, well, it's like that poor Australian woman who um, she was so she watched her mother die of a very painful colon cancer, right? And very painful, horrible. You know, I'm not negating any of that. Um, then she started developing at the same age severe stomach pains, which is how it started with her mother. And so she was one of the very first people under the new um, Australian law allowing for euthanasia. So she goes and um, she goes and she gets uh, she's. I want to say that she was – there was a lawsuit trying to prevent it, and she was forced to get a battery of tests, but then she ended up killing herself um, with medical-assisted suicide um, in order to – you know, whatever. And all the results came back that she didn't have cancer, that she didn't have anything. You know, and it, she, her fears had so overridden her judgment that she didn't even wait to get a diagnosis, and everyone you know, did the same thing. We line up and they call her brave. And it's a tragedy. It's not brave. It's tragedy. Yeah. yeah, and it's the loss of life should always bring us grief. Yeah, yeah. It, it makes me. Um, think I'm of... actually gonna have to. I'm actually gonna have to step out of the conversation now. I'm sorry, guys. Yeah, uh, I gotta go help. Um, um, but thank you all so much. Luke told me, you know, obviously I'm coming in with only five percent of the conversation that you guys had, but um, God bless y'all. God bless y'all. Thank, thank you. you. And may yeah. your wife have a great birthday. Yeah, I gotta figure out how to wrap presents. Uh, <laughs> got an hour and a half. Yeah. yeah, it's all in the rhythm. It's all in the rhythm. <laughs> yeah, feel the rhythm. Feel or the is vibe. that hip hop? I don't know. Yeah, I, I know how to hip hop presents. I don't know how yeah. to wrap them. Oh, that's fine. terrible. Fine. Terrible. Yeah. Yeah. Fine. Oh, that's yeah. awesome. All right. Adios, y'all. Fold, fold, fold. Um, <laughs> that was not expecting to be talking about that on the show. Um. Are you guys still? Are you guys? Um, are you guys? This is like very heavy. So I, I want to make sure, like, like you guys. Are you guys okay? You need a break? You need? No, um, we're good. Yeah, good? yeah, we're good. Um, I'll probably need a break at some point because nature calls. Oh, sure. Yeah, eventually, yeah, 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 yeah. right? No. But, oh wait, you're I'm, fine. Yeah, you're fine. You're fine. So, um, yeah, and I'm sorry that I'm like lying on a bed to have this conversation. It's the only place I could podcast. So. <laughs> it's okay. Sorry. It's fine. <laughs> It's, it's actually from hearing all the various different comments and different podcast episodes of you being lying down. It's like, oh, <laughs> oh, okay, I get it. Yeah, it's a, well, okay, those, no, you look very comfortable. Yeah, which it, makes it, it feel more like hanging would, out instead of the formal interview. Would it help exactly. if we if we laid down somewhere? No, you're fine. Would that help I you? Mean, okay. Uh, no. Well, it's funny because like, this. I tend to like because where I, I typically record there's a de- it's in our guest bedroom and there's a desk like right by the bed. And uh, usually I'll just, like, go in there, and if Gomer starts to blab, as he does, I'll be like, oh, okay, lying down. <laughs> like, I'm, just, I'm tired. It's one thirty at night. I have to get up at 6. Why are we doing this? Um, uh, so, okay, so you're dealing with all this heavy stuff. Like, you've just heard that, you know, she's considering doing assisted suicide. Uh, and what – so, like, your family – like – how does the rest of the family handle that? Like, how does as a family, how do you even process that? Right. Um, uh, you don't. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's I, it's it's something like you, you. We just because there was so much going on. I think we just like we're processing it in our own brains, but we're continuing with all the day to day life. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then very quickly after, something else came up that had to be dealt with. Yeah. So I think it was just a day or two, maybe after that, um, she ended up with pains, called nine one one, and was rushed to the hospital. And they found big blood clots in her lungs. Yeah, gosh. And like, 
it was it was crazy. It was like a day or two after. Yeah, it was. It very was quick. after that that conversation, and all of a sudden, my mom was rushed to the hospital, and within within twelve to twenty four hours, she had been within. She had been almost. She almost had. Pa- she had almost passed away. So the doctor called us to give us an update, saying that um, they did decide to offer an operation or a procedure or whatever. They weren't super confident it was going to work. They let her know that. They told us that she chose to go ahead with the procedure to try and live, right? And and she survived it, which was great. So we actually saw that as a sign of like, oh, she she does have a will to, to live, to keep going. This is good. Yeah. We couldn't be there at the hospital because of the lockdown. So we were just hearing things through the doctor. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and through so, phone calls with the ner- with nurses at the in the ICU. and Yeah. So that was a really weird time because we weren't sure if she was going to survive. Yeah. Um, but we were seeing these signs of hope that that things were Improving. better, at least emotionally. That, right? she, that she was moving away from the idea of dying yeah. to... Like doing what she can to live, and yeah. interesting yeah. thing. While she was at the hospital, because she couldn't have visitors, I asked the nurse if the nurse would um, ask Clark's mom whether she would like to have the chaplain visit. Because <laughs> I thought, okay, well, that's somebody who can go and spend time with her, right, and encourage yeah, her, yeah. and those sorts of things. And the nurse told us that when she suggested it, Clark's mom basically gave her the stink eye, <laughs> as if she was crazy for suggesting it. So it shows you the her viewpoint of the church and you know like religion and priests and that sort of thing at that point. Yeah. Um while she was in hospital though, we got another phone call. Yeah. Do you want to share this? Um the one about the big one? Yeah. Okay, so um just for context with her time in the hospital, my, my mom really hates hospitals. Like she absolutely hated them. The last thing she wanted to do was be institutionalized. Yeah. Actually that's something like that came out she, in the conversation. She yeah. didn't want to go to a long-term care home and, um, all that, right? Like she absolutely did not want that. She just wanted to be at home regardless of what was happening. And Things were not really getting better. She was having... It seemed we could barely talk with her when over the phone when she was there. It seemed like something was off. And then I got a call saying that she was coming home. She called to say she was coming home from the hospital. That they had released her. And then I got another call from someone else saying she had signed up for medical assistance and dying. Oh, gosh. So that's why she was coming home, not because she was better, but because once you sign that piece of paper, they stop treatment. And they send you oh. home. Yeah. So that was how she could get out of the hospital. Well, so Clark's phrasing it that part way. Of it. We don't know that she signed it to get out of the hospital. Yeah, we don't know that. that. That's, no. That, we should be clear about that. But it was yeah. the it was a result of of it. So it was... It was... Aggravating, I guess you could say, among other mm-hmm. words. Um, yeah, yeah. You, it was scary, really. Absolutely yeah. scary to hear those words, like to hear hear them f- physically manifest into my ear. So, the 
current state of the legislation at that time was when you sign that request, there's a 10-day period in which the procedure can't happen. But if the person um, is assessed by two medical professionals who uh, determine that the person does meet all of the criteria, and if they still want it after 10 days are up, then the procedure can happen. So from the day that that piece of paper was signed, we basically had a 10-day clock. Holy crap. Which is intense. Um, Yeah. Because, I mean, it really puts things into perspective, like 10 days. Yeah, so that's when I started messaging everybody for prayers. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we started doing research um, to figure out the procedure and the process and what the assessments would entail. Um, Clark was going through these moral quandaries of does he... Because he had been scheduling all the medical appointments up until that point, I was like her. I was her uh, executive assistant. I, um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, among other other hats that I wore for caring yeah. for my mom at that point. But he didn't yeah. want to participate in her killing. Yeah. So he had to think about like, do I schedule these appointments or not? Yeah. And and <sighs> like a I lot of people were saying, like, open the door to let them in. <laughs> some people were saying like, don't don't schedule the appointment. Don't schedule the appointment. But like one of the things that I was like. I need more than that, and it's incredibly easy to 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 talk about the the general what to do, than to deal with the specific how to do it or how to not do it. Yeah, and yeah. like how to how to how to act justly, how to how to act or how to act unjustly, yeah. Um, yeah. right? Like, and there's just no to say like for this. No, there's no, no. there's no. no podcast top ten tips for how to like you know what I mean. There's yeah. there's no, yeah. and I. I I mean, I tried to find one on YouTube. I didn't find a channel. (laughs) (laughs) Get on that, Fred. I but like, (laughs) I I mean this in the sense of like, uh, um, my like, like I I don't think I'm I'm using the Lord's own name in vain when I when I his, but like my God, (laughs) you know, like like Lord have mercy because how do you you are truly um, navigating like, yeah. (laughs) Unchartered, like this is such an image. I went to um, confession to like today, and he and the uh, the priest there had like talked about like you know like Peter on the water, just kind of keeping your eyes on the Lord, right? Yeah. Like y- you were living the epitome of that, like in a way that's like way more like like um, like uh, you guys all were like just that's that's um, my like I like. I'm sorry. I'm like speechless. <laughs> like, I'm just like, how do you like? How do you sit there and um, just have this sort of like, like what a oddly petrifying experience that you have to go through of just like I am on the water right now, and I have to somehow walk on this. Yeah. There's no. There's not. There's nothing. There's nothing. I don't know. Sorry. I don't, I don't want to speak speak for you, but. I'm going to very, very quickly. <laughs> there's, just, <laughs> there's no playbook. Like, there's no, there's no, yeah. like, well, this is what I went through. This is what St. Arrhenius thinks. There's no, yeah. like, there's just nothing yeah. in terms of, like, how do I do this? How do I, yeah. do you know, because, like, 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 what if you call and make the appointment for her to get one of those people that can do an, like, an assessment and they say, like, what if they're the ones who can say no? You know what I mean, like as like mm. as, as in like no, you can't go ahead with this because of right. Like like what if 
that's an avenue that can prevent. You know what I mean? Like, like that's yep. sorry, I, I don't want to speak up for you, so I'll, I'm going to stop. Um, no, no problem. You're right. Mm-hmm. We yep. were we were in a situation that we didn't know what to do, but we yeah. were guided by certain principles, right? Like we did know that we weren't going to encourage physician assisted suicide. So that mm-hmm. was one thing. We weren't yeah. waffling on that. Um, we also knew that we wanted to show love and dignity and we weren't going to just abandon her in this yeah. or get mm-hmm. mad at her or anything like that. Um, yep. So even though those don't give you the how, like they start at least pointing you in the right direction. We mm-hmm. also knew that we needed to trust that even though we didn't have the answers, that God did know how to reach her heart. Yeah. And recall Clark's dream, right? So mm. Clark mm. was like, oh, well, God said if she <laughs> dies a natural death, we can trust in his mercy. Yeah. So on one so, hand, that gives hope. On the other hand, we're like, oh, well, is she going to die a natural death? Yeah, because I was like, God, why Why did I hear the big if? <laughs> if. Yeah. Uh. No. Well, that's so funny. Like, everyone else is just like, and then I shall do this for you. And it's like, if you pass these 12 tests, I shall do this one. <laughs> and it's not even up to us, right? Yeah. 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 Oh. So, so we just took it day by day. So I can't remember when it was in this period, but there was a moment when Clark was really struggling. And I told him, don't think about how we're going to do the next two months. Don't think about how we're going to do the next week. Don't think about how we're going to do the next day. You can do the next 60 seconds. Yeah. 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 Just love your mom. Take care of yourself. Follow God in the next minute. Yeah. Just like, that's what it was taking was really like one step at a time. And that's how that, that, that's how that week played out. So there were a whole series of medical appointments um, with the assessors, but also with, with, an uh, with the oncologist, which was the first time she spoke with her oncologist after the blood clot situation. Yeah. And with the palliative care team. Yeah. And those meetings were hugely important yeah. and influential in, in what happened. So, and, and like also some conversations with my mom, cause at least, so at least one benefit of a 10 day frame, uh, time frame is you have 240 hours. I think if my math is correct to do this, you have that amount of time to say things. You have that amount of time to give certain foods, um, to, to care in certain ways, to express love. And so there's like no holding back. Like why would, if I have things that I'm, that, um, that were bothering me, why wouldn't I tell my mom? Right. Cause she could be gone. Mm-hmm. So in a sense that did sort of help. Um, and one thing was like spoke with various friends and who some are priests and others who have a deep faith and they were able to help with just talking us through it a bit. And we would always do this because of the privacy issue. We would always have to, I'd always have to go out into the car. So thankfully we still had a rental car. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> it was like, I'd go into the rental car in the dead of winter, turn on the, the engine so I don't freeze and so the I can talk to somebody. And that helped. Um, and one of the things that uh, also through just like bleary-eyed prayer, if that is a sentence that makes sense. Um, totally. totally. I, I heard God say, like, you know your mom. And that's one of the things that I think when we think about it just generally, it's like, oh, yeah, like, how do you do this? But 
if it's a parent, if it's uh, a sibling, if it's a spouse or a child, like if it's somebody that you know, like that, that's actually helpful. And with regards to something like making the appointments, I knew that my mom would want, my mom was definitely all about open communication. And there are ways that I could go about doing this, that Andrea and I could go about doing this that would either honor her or not honor her. And the last thing I wanted to do at this point was dishonor my mother, to disrespect my mother, to throw her dignity under the bus. Mm -hmm. And so I had to be honest with her. And I was like, I, I can't like the, the first appointment happened. The first assessor happened. That appointment happened. I had no real control over that. It just happened. And then I was like, about the second one, I was like, I don't want to make the appointment. And this was during the week and it was getting close to yeah. Friday. Friday wasn't like day 10 or anything. Mm-hmm. And I remember her, we were talking about it and I was like, cause the second assessor kept trying to make the appointment, but my mom would be asleep or yeah, I was just like freezing with it. I was like, I don't want to answer that phone call. I don't want to answer that phone call. Yeah. And, uh, um, I said to my mom, I was like, you know what? It's not our job to make the appointment. I don't feel comfortable making the appointment because it makes me, it, 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 it's me participating in your mm-hmm. killing. Yeah. Yeah. I can't set up that call. It's their job to do it. They, and then my mom was eventually like, and I said like, they're probably rushing to get it done by the end of Friday because it's the weekend. And that's nice that they get to have the weekend off. Yeah. Who, who is they? The second assessor and the other okay, doctors, okay, the medical okay, team. Okay, okay. And I was like, you know, it's nice that the, the, the second assessor can have the weekend off and that's all nice, but you're bedridden all day. You barring a miracle, you'll be bedridden on Saturday too. You don't get to go gallivanting and hiking. You don't get to head downtown for the weekend. Mm-hmm. You still have this pain. Mm-hmm. It's their job to get this done. And she was like, well, let them call back. So I was like, okay, thank you, mom. So this felt like we were kind of on a, on the same side then. I also yeah. didn't want to force it because it, like, there's something about, there's something absolutely beautiful about people choosing things for themselves, right? Like free will, mm-hmm. pretty great. Yeah. Yeah. I've imbibed of that before it's pretty great sometimes i do it wrong but um that was that second assessor kept getting pushed back day after day after day and it felt throughout that time frame it i was just sick like and i was just i felt like i was ready to just vomit from stress and worry and fears and at the time because of the lockdown we couldn't go into any parish but i mean I think at some point during the pandemic, uh, maybe it was Father Mike or somebody else in a video said, like, every church is a tabernacle. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, I remember this now. Like, God is there. So I was like, I drove down to the Basilica, which is the cathedral. I parked as close as possible. And I just prayed and I prayed and I prayed. And I was just like, I need this. Also, nice thing about 10 days, Novena fits in there. And I think we prayed a Novena to St. Joseph again. <laughs> I don't remember. Maybe. Or, I f- yeah. And then the, when meeting after meeting or call after call, things were just all over the place. The There was one day where my mom had a call from the oncologist and a call from the palliative care unit because we were exploring different options. And the oncologist call was eye-opening. 
And one of the things was she was taken off the cancer meds when my mom was in the hospital the second round. And we wanted answers about that. And so my mom was like, well, Dr. So-and-so, why, why, why did you say to take me off the medication? And the look on the doctor's face was over video was just one of shock and horror. And her oncologist said, I never told anybody to take you off those meds. Those meds would not interfere the way with what you were told. They would never cause a blood clot in your lungs. Whoa. Yeah. So. (laughs) And the oncologist said she was told that his mom went off the cancer meds because she didn't want to take them anymore. Because she wanted to go ahead with MAID. Because she wanted to go ahead with physician assisted suicide. Yeah. So after that, I had a conversation with her and I said, because she was like, oh, I just signed it because I was exploring these options. And I told her, (laughs) look, the medical world doesn't see it as continuing to leave these doors open. If you sign it, they start going down that path and they close the other doors. They're not going to continue treating you if you've agreed to physician-assisted suicide, even if it hasn't been concluded, right? Even if you haven't said, yes, do it today. But when you sign that initial paper, they, they stop the treatment. So it's not continue getting treated and continue exploring physician-assisted death. It's one yeah. or the other at that point. Yeah. Um, so it, it sounded like she hadn't even realized that, that yeah, she seemed kind of surprised when I yeah. told her, like, look, when you sign that, they're not going to continue treating you. Yeah. They're just going down this one path. Yeah. But the other appointment was um, beneficial to her. The other appointment was with palliative care. Yeah. And totally different approach. The palliative care doctor was um, all about comfort and what does she want and explain that there are medications to help with pain that pain management is a really normal part of palliation and what what is palliation oh it's um care for those who are dying but not okay it's not treatment to cure the underlying issues it's treatment to manage symptoms yeah okay yeah okay To, to give quality of life yeah yeah so it's Pain management as opposed to treating the cancer. Yep. Um, so that you're not feeling as much pain. Yeah. And um, giving the person comfort as they are dying. Yeah. And at the at one point, my mom asked, and again, it was a video call. Um, and one point, my mom asked the palliative care doctor, she's like, well, do I have to go to the palliative care unit or can I do it at home? And the doctor was like, oh, yeah, you can do it at home. In fact, we encourage it. And she was like, my mom just, it was, the pain just lifted and it was just like, there was joy coming back into her face. It was like, she was, there was something there. Like she didn't want to, she didn't want to be in a institution, like in a, in a long-term care home. She didn't want to be in a hospital. Um, like, so sorry, uh, just, um, just to clarify here, you were saying that like the, the stuff that like if she, if she were to not do the medically it's just like suicide she could still like be home and do try to like unmanage her pain while yes. the, while okay okay cool while she Sorry. yeah while the cancer takes its course yeah basically yeah. which yeah. is still very very sad and hard oh yeah yeah but absolutely um it's very different 
with the whole question of how do the second assessment, the next morning, so Friday morning, I would always just go have a shower and that was my piece in the morning before the home care work, first home care worker would come. My mom had a phone in the bathroom so that she could answer the phone because, you know, having incredibly limited mobility pre- previous to all this, you can't really just run around and grab the phone. Yeah. I could hear the phone ring while I was showering. I was like, oh, no, sweet Lord, no. <laughs> I was like, yeah. yeah. I was like, who is this? And I heard it answer. I heard somebody answered the phone call. And I was like, please let that be the home care worker. Please let that be the home care worker. So I'm like rushing out of the shower to get out of the shower. And I look through the uh, – all dressed again. I look out, out the bathroom and I'm like, oh, home care worker's not there. I'm like, Andre, is the home care worker here? No. Okay. Who called? I looked at the phone ID, second assessor's office. No, I don't want this to have happened. But on the other hand, it was good that he was in the bathroom. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he didn't have to answer. She was going to have a, a call. She was going to have an appointment with her GP, her general practitioner, that morning anyway. And he was coming. It was like, it wasn't him either. So I was like, okay. I didn't have enough time to talk to mom about what the call was and whatnot. Yeah. Uh, other than, oh, was it the doctor so-and-so? And she's like, yep. And so the GP comes in, we're sitting down, going over things, and he says, so we, uh, I spoke with the other doctor and what you've decided and what you've decided to go with. And I just want to double check to make sure that you're completely fine with that and that that's what you want to do. And my mom said, yep, that's what I want to do. Internally, I'm, I'm blowing up. I'm like, what did she decide? Yeah, <laughs> Tell yeah. me, please, please. But externally, and I'm just sitting there on the couch, like in the bedroom. Um, and I said, so, uh, and w- what was that? That was, I, that was decided. And, uh, her GP turns to me and says, Oh, your mom decided that she's not going to go ahead with maid. Oh, wow. No maid. And she, ma- she chose that of her own fruition. Yeah. <laughs> God. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Oh. So she chose to palliate at home. Yeah. To stop the cancer treatment, um, but to receive pain medication and comforts and supports as as she died at home. Yeah. So at this point, we were just overjoyed, but we were completely aware that we had to definitely put our uh, money where our mouth is, so to speak, and really, really be there. I became the primary. Palli- I basically became a palliative care nurse. <laughs> Clark was administering the medication I every four hours. Did all the all the yeah. all the uh, all the medications? Drew them up. Um, they were injections. Yeah, the the injections for her because at that point you would need uh, pain medication fairly regularly, um, and at particular times. And and we did see her her health declining and that sort of thing. Yeah. But yeah, you know, it it changed right. It 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 changed the tone of what was happening. It changed the goals. It yeah. reduced the fear. How how did it how did it change? Well, because then there was no longer a question of is she getting better? Is she not getting better? Are these cancer medications going to work or not? Is she going to be going through a procedure that's going to kill her or not? Instead, it was okay. We're going to uh, like go through the natural process of the body deteriorating, Dying. right? Yeah. yeah, and so just journeying in that process, and then. We were um, journeying in the process of yeah her changing state. Yeah, as sad as it is to see your your parent die at such a young age, like to see to to have that 
more of a certainty of a natural death after having that dream in January, hearing God say, if she dies a natural death, you can trust in my mercy and in my grace. Yeah. Because one of the things we didn't mention earlier about why physician-assisted death is a problem, I mean, there's many problems, but one of them is that it's a rejection of the biggest gift any one of us receives, Yeah, which is the gift of our life, right? So, yeah, so she was accepting what her life, yeah. she was accepting to, to keep the life that God had given her yeah. and, and to have the strength to go through whatever suffering would come. So like that was more courageous and that was accepting God in a sense, right? Because you're accepting the gift from him. Yeah. If you're rejecting his gift, you're, re- you're rejecting him in a sense, but she's the ultimate. Yeah, you're right. It's, it's the ultimate yeah. gift. So that's the ultimate rejection. You know, like, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So, so that was really, yeah, it was incredible. So yeah. we were thrilled, but also sad. Like it was emotional as the whole time was. Yeah. Yeah. I was actually, I had that thought earlier, like that's a lot of conflicting things from joy about not that tall sudden. Well, it's still, you know what I mean? Like, like it's, that's, yeah. that's, yeah. A, that's yeah, a lot. It's that's a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And it's definitely understandable why that'd be so. I was going to say that was a beginning of March. Yeah. And, um, so over the next several weeks, um, there were ups and downs. Um, she started losing her, her, her physical ability was deteriorating more and more. So the, the, the yep. things she could do with her hands were decreasing. So at one point, she couldn't eat by herself anymore. At one point, her body stopped digesting food. Or not stopped, but like slowly, it it's was harder and harder to, to process food. Yeah. yeah. So what we were feeding her changed or how much. It, it's so confusing. Like you, your instinct is like, oh, no, no, they're getting thin. They need to eat. They need to eat. But, but when you're pali- no, palliating... A pa- a, a, patient who's palliating doesn't need food at a certain point and it actually causes more pain because it can just Mm. like be relocated somewhere else in the body if the body Mm. isn't processing it right so we had to wrap our head around these different (laughs) concepts yeah um clark was having weekly meetings with the gp and he he was being guided in in this care yeah um and also conversations were harder and harder because she couldn't speak as well anymore yeah. And she was also going through periods of delusion. So she would talk about things that weren't real. Yeah. I mean, like, real in her mind, she but kept not real. Asking there. me to take a pie off of the bed. There was no pie. <laughs> it's like, how do you manage that? Yeah. Or you talking know? to people who weren't there, like talking to her sister that lives in Saskatchewan in a different province, as yeah. if she were in the room. Yeah. Or saying that she was trapped in a box, like different things. Right. And so we were learning from the doctors that this is actually very, very normal that her body was in trauma. Yeah. And, and these are, it's normal that the brain reacts these ways. Yeah. Um, so it was a learning experience for us of how to, to deal with that, especially yeah. when she was very, very scared in those moments. But there was also a change in tone. Like she was also calmer. Like she yeah. wasn't as, uh, she was more at peace. Yeah. There like more she was more accepting of the situation, right? She wasn't trying to fight against her reality. Yeah. Before and, and we she would, was sorry. Softer. Yeah. So there there was a time that I was standing in her room and she was like patting at the bed and telling me to sit down so that I wouldn't be standing, you know, like yeah. she was thinking about my needs of like, no, have yeah. a seat instead of standing. Or and, when she asked yeah. you where you were sleeping. Yeah. There was, there was one night where 
I, I was like, okay, you know, and we tried to have a bit of a routine of it's like, okay, now this is the nighttime just to give her a concept of time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so turning you, off lights, saying you know, good night, light, that sort of thing. Yeah. And she's like, oh, well, well, you have to go. And I'm like, what do you mean? Well, you have to go home. I'm like, no. She's like, well, where are you sleeping? I'm just sleeping out on the couch. And then I ended up just sleeping out on the couch. And she said, oh, well, really? And I'm like, yeah, we're, we're staying here to help you. And we, you know, she's like, oh, well, well, if, if you're helping me, then I need to help you. And it was like so sweet. I was like, oh, yeah. God, love you. Like, oh, just yeah. so. Yeah. And it was just. So there, there were a number of these like super endearing moments. Yeah. Yeah. And some things which before the pal- palliation would kind of irritate my mom. And she was like, right. Like certain things that would have to be done. They wouldn't bother her. And she would actually kind of giggle and like laugh, laugh them off. It's like, it was hmm. completely different. Yeah. And, and there were also little differences with respect to prayer. So like, I can't remember when I started this, but I start, we would pray together in her room. And, so we would just ask her, is it okay if we pray here? Yeah. And then we'd pray there even though, out loud even though she wasn't, like, praying with us. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then there was a point at which she, like, said amen or said yeah. some of the lines of the prayers with us. Yeah, yeah. And and so there was, like, these glimpses of her openness, right? Yeah. And then there was also... A, I was really struggling with, like, how do I explicitly talk to her about God? Because that doesn't come super easily to me of, like, evangelizing. <laughs> uh, but I knew it was important. So there was a time when when I, I, I felt God, like, prompting me, pushing me to, like, have these conversations. And mm-hmm. I start chatting with her. And at one point, I make this connection and I share it with her. I was like, you're, you're actually in a very similar situation to Jesus on the cross. Because he was also stuck in a place and couldn't move. Just like you are in a place of suffering and can't move and can't get up. I mean, it's a little bit different because Jesus, as God, could have gotten off the cross if yeah. he wanted to. Yeah. yeah. But, no, but, but he's like, like yeah. Yeah. immobilized yeah. in a sense, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, in that suffering and not getting up, not leaving that suffering. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and she, she kind of, like, she didn't say a whole lot, but she, I think, was mulling that over a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so there were these little moments of being able to share with her. Or there was a, a retreat that the Sisters of Life put on, and we watched. We asked her if she'd like to watch one of the sessions with us, and she did. And the Sisters of Life are great about talking about the dignity of each individual and how much they are loved and how precious they are, right? That each person is a beautiful, unrepeatable masterwork of God's love. Like, can't knock that. That's <laughs> pretty Yeah, it's so pretty we had positive. all these little these moments of grace. And... Yeah. Um, one of the things that we really wanted was for her to receive the the sacrament of the sick. But you, you don't force those things, obviously. Mm. Um, but we were praying about it and hoping about it and also struggling with the fact of, like, me having grown up in a Christian household, I kind of see the sacraments as essentials. And so mm. I was trying to wrap my head around, like, well, if if people don't die with the sacraments, does that mean... They're not going to heaven, right? 
And so I, I can't remember who I was talking to. Somebody told me, you know, just reminding me that God's mercy is greater than what we even know, that he's not bound by the sacraments. He gives the sacraments as gifts mm-hmm. and yeah. they do have power, but he also has power outside of the sacraments. Mm-hmm. And yeah. so even if she died without the sacraments, his mercy can still reach her. So yeah. that helped me to, to trust. Um, but close to the feast of St. Joseph, in March. In March, I asked her, I was like, would you like to have the sacrament of the sick? And she said yes. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Wow. And it was After it was really she had cool. rolled her eyes at the idea of a chaplain yeah. even coming to talk to her yeah. just yeah. a month prior, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. And she said yes. Okay. So. <laughs> and a, a, f- yeah. a few days prior to that, um, so the lockdown had ended, so, you know, churches were still, could people could go to mass and. Um, there were, it was like adoration and confession at, at the Basilica. I don't know what it's like in the States, but a lot of, a, a lot of places here during the COVID, they're like, well, we're not going to have those tiny boxes. We're going to like do the more in person with a screen or whatever. Mm-hmm. But like mm-hmm. Newfoundlanders are really, they're really congenial, right? Like, so they're, they're, they're very friendly. And we went to confession and I remember sitting there and the priest comes in and the priest is there and he goes, so how's COVID for you? I was like, <laughs> Oh gosh! I was like, "Sorry, what? How's COVID?" I was like, "Oh yeah, I forgot about that." Because even though we did have a lot of these lovely experiences during the start of the palliative process um, for my mom, it was still a whole lot of work, and it was tough, and it was hard. And I was like, "I don't know. I, I don't know, Father. Like, COVID. I don't know." And then it's the small. It's, it's not the biggest of my worries right now. It's not really yeah. a concern for me. Yeah. And yeah. he was like, oh, well, what's going on? And I explained it. And um, then he was like, okay, he got me like a couple of prayer cards. And he was like, here's uh, here's the office's phone number, the parish office phone number. Here's my cell phone number. You need anything. You text me or you call me, all right? Wow. So I was like, okay. So fast forward a couple more days. And uh, the, so when she says yes. When she says yes, we're just like, father <laughs> like as soon as possible like, dial that yeah. number quickly as we can Gosh, yeah and it how was really was he able to get there um so it was actually what not it was like two days later <laughs> yeah but i don't think that was because he wasn't available i think it was no. because when we called him she was asleep <laughs> yeah so we were like trying to figure out when it was it most likely that she would be yeah lucid. yeah yeah um yeah so we scheduled it for the a day or two later and it was just such a beautiful experience. Yeah. It was one of the most precious things I have ever experienced. Yeah. He was so gentle with her. He was attentive. He was engaging with her, holding her hand, talking to her. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. And then we had a prayer service, right? Wow. At her bedside. Yeah. yeah. And Clark said that the churches were opened up. They were... I, not very open. Not no, because we hadn't been going to mass at that point because of the lockdowns. And he brought the Eucharist, and I thought it was oh, yeah. just going to be for her. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Be, because she's the one receiving the sacrament, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, and then, so remember how we had said she hadn't been practicing for like mm-hmm. decades. I had never heard her pray other than just within the last couple of weeks of a couple words here or there. Yeah. In my ten years of knowing her. And at this point, she wasn't saying full sentences because she couldn't get all the words out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yet, during the Lord's Prayer, 
she prayed it. Clearly. Hmm. Clearly. Clear. It was incredible. Clearly. It, it was, yeah, it, yeah, it was like... more words and clearer in one row than we had heard her speak in a long time. Yeah. Wow. It was astounding. And she was saying the responses to prayers. Yeah. It was, it was incredible. Like she was engaging with it. Yeah. Um, and then he gave her the Eucharist and then he turned to us with the Eucharist and it was just such a gift to yeah. be able to receive our Lord after lockdowns of not being able to, to receive the Eucharist and to receive him at the foot of her bed. Like I was kneeling at the foot of her bed. Yeah. Um, it, wow. I, it was just incredible. Yeah. Um, wow. Wow, wow, wow. Something that I probably should have said before this is in this process, we had started connecting with the Sisters of Life. Like months ago, we had originally signed up to help them support yeah. people in their ministry. And, the, they, and then I sent them a prayer request. And then they asked us if we wanted a phone call. Yeah. So then they we started having these like bi-weekly phone calls with them for them to support us. And they were encouraging us. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, but, yeah encouraging us through the process. And, and one of the things that they had said not long before this sacrament was that the the bed and the room the room of a person who's dying is the vestibule of heaven yeah. because it's at because that's the place where somebody is going to transition from this life into the next yeah so like you're literally on the doorstep of heaven yeah yeah uh, and the bed of a dying person is the foot of the cross, right? It's, it's where they are suffering their passion. Yeah. They are walking up the hill to Calvary and hopefully uniting themselves, their suffering with Christ's. It's their, their passage of going through suffering with the hope of resurrection on the other side. Yeah. So to be at the foot of her bed when receiving the body of Christ... Like, it just brings all those symbols together. It's like, it's just on a spiritual and also on a physical level, I'm at the foot of the cross. Yeah. 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 I was in tears over it. The the yeah. two sisters that we spoke with, Sister Marita and Sister Avelina Joseph, were uh, such great helps. Um, whenever we would speak with, with them, it was just like, we just reinvigorated and it was like, we can go like a hundred more years doing this. Like, it just, it was just... It and was life giving. Yeah, it was life giving. Sure. Yeah. yeah, and like one of the things, whenever Clark matter. would start getting like yeah. desperate again, I'd be like, "Okay, we need another call with the sisters." Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So Is there, I know we just talked on like on Tuesday, and it's Tuesday night, but, <laughs> <laughs> but please, <laughs> I know we're still on the same call, sister. Yeah, Alina. yeah. And and for any listeners, I'd really recommend um, reading their the interview that they did with the palliative care doctor who said that about the vestibule of heaven. So his name is Dr. Michael Brescia. I don't know if I'm saying that correctly. B-R-E-S-C-I-A. And the Sisters of Life interviewed him and have an article called The Vestibule of Heaven. Yeah. It's on the Sisters of Life webpage, and it is beautiful. Yeah. I'm going to try to put that into the show notes. Um, Perfect. Yeah. So, okay. Yeah. Um, gosh, yeah. Hans Erzman Balthazar has this thing, of, like this idea that in our culture we tend to forget about we either we like forget either the cross or the resurrection mm-hmm. and we either like focus too much on one. So, because it's just, it's all the cross, it's all suffering, it's all pointless, it's all a dream, you know, kind of thing. Or it's just like joy, joy, joy down on my heart, you know? And it's like, you, you, you need like the Christian, a mystery is both. 
Yeah. It's yes. both of those things. And when you were explaining that, I, I just kept like, I'm thinking about that. Like, I'm like, what a profound experience of both in that same moment. This idea of like a deathbed being the cross, but then the, like the doorsteps of heaven. And then this beautiful moment of like resurrection of just like her life almost, you know, like a second life. You know, like all like, and then an answer to your guys' prayers and just like, who would have thought when you guys got there that you would have that moment? Yeah. 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 It was, is, yeah. Yeah. One of the things that the sisters told us, which was kind of interesting is they told us like the way anybody loves another person is unique to who they are. Yeah. The way I'm going to love someone is different than the way Clark loves someone is different than the way somebody else loves someone because mm-hmm. each person expresses God's love in a slightly different way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But in addition to that, the love shared by people in common and the example here is through marriage is mm-hmm. different as well. So the love that we were able to provide as a couple yeah um was unique and and different than if it had just been Clark. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. similarly to that along that line of marriage, one of the sisters told us like what we were doing was giving life. That our marriage was bearing life. And both in terms of like hopefully spiritual life of yeah. eternal life in heaven, but also quality of life and possibly yeah. longer life yeah. on earth. Yeah, absolutely. And like once, once we give God our yes, he conti- he will continue putting us where he wants us. And we will continue bearing fruit. That was very, very meaningful for us to hear because we were often getting discouraged, right? And, yeah. and feeling like 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 what we were doing wasn't enough. Yeah. So that was a big reminder. It's so easy when you're in in those moments of like profound suffering. When you come through that other side and you're able to look back and you're able to see that. Or even when you're in the like in the midst of it and you're going you're going through it and the Lord just kind of like he reveals stuff to you through other own people. And then how like your marriage, like the sacrament of like your guys' marriage and what that was able to do for this and how people were able to like the benefits, like what a beautiful, like I I just keep like what's coming to my mind here with all this is like one tears two, but like what a wonderful like witness to vocation, the vocation, like of the sisters, of the priest, of the doctor who was like trying to help you guys manage that, of your mom, of like like all these vocations coming into 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 play and like all benefiting each other in different ways. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. and the church needs each of the vocations, right? Yeah. You each have a different mm-hmm. role that supports the the church. Yeah, like yeah. the priest, yeah. the priest isn't the only one that that matters, right? Like the married couples aren't yeah. the only ones that matter. Absolutely, and it's it's something like, and it was it, it's something that's hard for us. We were wondering if we should bring it up, but I guess now probably is Go for it. contextual. It's, it's, so I'm sure. really infertile mm-hmm. and the Catholic church is very good at describing the vocation of marriage as being fruitful. Mm-hmm. And that fruitfulness is babies. We can't have babies, right? Like there was a, I, we, we did a vocation, uh, I did a vaca- vacation Bible school at our parish after finding this out. And one, one little girl was like, Oh, you don't have kids? Are you having? Do you have trouble getting a baby down there? Which is like the sweetest way to phrase such a hard thing. Like yeah. a lot of people are like, oh, yeah. what? You know, and she was just so sweet about it. And it's like, yeah, it, we can't. And that's been my own cross and our cross to share as a married couple. But the church does have a way that a married couple without children can 
live out that vocation. Mm -hmm. And yeah, and, and the church doesn't teach that babies are the only example of fruitfulness. It's just in yep. common parlance. That's what we often talk about, right? Yeah. But yeah, the sisters helped us remember that our marriage can bear fruit in different ways. And that's that's part of where that was coming from was like, because totally. I was like, it, it's just so hard. Um, and they were like, yeah, no, you're, he's putting you into places where you can continue to bear fruit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and our relationship got so much stronger with yeah. his mom. Like there were so many precious moments, and and even after she couldn't speak anymore, like like you don't have to be able to talk to connect with someone. If you have intimacy, you can literally just sit in the same space, yeah, and look at each other, and you can yeah. communicate love. Yeah, like to hold each other's gaze, right? Like yeah. to look look there each other. Times in the that eye. I would just sit there and hold her hand, and yeah, yeah. There was this one time that I, I was just sitting there with her and looking at her, and I told her that she was beautiful. And she looked at me like I was a crazy person. <laughs> but, like, it's just, I don't know. She's precious. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. It really puts into perspective uh, everything around relationship and loving someone, right? Like, yeah, it's just to be present with somebody and to... to mm-hmm to have such like there there are so many things that have just fallen away that you can't really lean on as ways to express love like talking about shared interests or whatnot yeah it really is just presence and being there and taking care and listening and the way you look at someone the way you hold their hand or hold their gaze the way your presence one there was one one little time like when we were uh, for Easter, Easter, like a lot of the holidays for my mom were, were big because of food, partially. She always loved a good meal, but she wouldn't be able to eat turkey or lamb or a roast for Easter as Easter was approaching. Easter was in April that year. Because she could have choked, right? Um, like everything is, is weak, including uh, muscles in your throat. Yeah. And... I was trying to think of ways to make it better. Like, how can I give my mother an Easter meal and a flavor that she would love? And I remember um, the palliative care doctors who were coaching us and, and her GP were like, no, because he also did palliative care. He was like, no, you can't, you can't give her solid foods like a steak. You can't. I mean, you know, just really don't do that. I was like, how can I do this? I got to tell you, gravy is a wonderful thing. <laughs> So I made I made it I made lamb. Uh, I can't remember what part, but uh, I made a, a gravy out of the with the fond and the all the other stuff in the pan. And I made mashed potatoes because that's soft enough for someone who's palliating to be able to eat no problem. Mm-hmm. Mashed potatoes and gravy, and I just sat there next to her. It was so quiet, so calm. Slowly feeding her the mashed potatoes and gravy, and she, this look on her face of absolute pure bliss just hear her like she's licking her lips she goes can't knock that (laughs) so that's awesome oh those words have been so healing to clark's soul yeah yeah yeah, to to bring her that joy was just so special yeah yeah she loved it yeah and it was just like yeah so the the joy that she couldn't have she was missing in life we were finding ways to bring it to her in that point. And we could see that she was experiencing it. 
that she could see, that she could feel, that she could taste something good of life. Yeah, or it's, mm-hmm. uh, we went down to the ocean at her favorite spot and we took a, a video just of, of the waves. Yeah. And then we put it up in the TV in her room on loop yeah. so that she'd get a little yeah. ocean sounds and sights. And, yeah. yeah. Little yeah. things, right? Yeah. Well, little things to us, but they're like, they're, they make a difference. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. it's funny how when you go through something traumatic, um, I think some people before you can, I don't know. In my opinion, before I really because I, I experienced um, not anything like this on on you know on um, this level, but I remember when my dad died, it was very unexpected. It's just out of the blue, like you know he was I'm feeling great, and then all of a sudden like he's dead. You know, it's just it was yeah, it was horrible, but. Um, Sorry for that. That's oh. tough. Oh, thank you. It, uh, yeah, it, it like, I remember the week between, like, he, we did a mass, we did like a celebration of life mass, I think is what, what, is what that's called, personally, not, not if, you know, because he donated his body to the, the local, um, the local, uh, it, there is a med- there is like medical college right here that uh, he had donated to. Um, everything that, like, doesn't matter really doesn't matter. <laughs> like, like, yeah. like it really doesn't like you just don't care about like I could have cared less about like who was dating who <laughs> and like the Olympics I just completely yeah. dropped off like it just is well we kind of were like a little bit interested in, in some because it was when it was like the week I want to say that week was when uh, Michael Phelps like br- like got the eight medals and I remember just being like NBC's coverage is so stupid but anyways <laughs> it, um <laughs> It uh, it it just and when you were saying those things about those little tiny things, it's like those the things that you find joy in these little moments because they're really good, you know. And 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 it and there's just this kind of like they may not be like the most incredible thing in the world, but it's just it's like it's there's something good about it that like when all the other junk of life is just like doesn't matter anymore because all you've got is this you're able to kind of um find in the small things that are really good and really nice you can actually like in a weird way like fully partake in them almost because it, yeah. it, 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 it's it's kind of yeah. it's, it's it's weird it's 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 one of the weirdest um things that i and i don't think it's necessarily possible to be in that state of mind all the time yeah you know it's yeah, because in those in those moments you're more present to it because mm-hmm. you're not as attached to all the other things. Your brain isn't yeah. going on about game scores or what somebody said at lunchtime in the hallway at work, or yeah. you know, you know, like yeah. you've kind of filtered out what's important and what's not. So yeah. then, in the moment, you're you're not your attention isn't as divided. Yeah. You're more present, yeah. like yeah. mentally. Yeah. Yeah. So then, yeah. yeah, you can engage with the goodness. Because you are more fully present. Yeah. One of the yeah, it's similar to a prayer that I heard from um, Dr. Greg Botero. He said, Eternal Father, here with me now. Help me to be here with you. Ever-present God. Oh, ever-present God, yeah. not eternal. Sorry. Ever-present God, here with me now. Help me to be here with you. Right? The idea that yeah. God is fully present, but we are sometimes scatterbrained and all over the place. Yeah. And there's, there's a tremendous grace in, in being more yeah. present, more invested, more like engaging more fully. And sometimes it's hard to pull our brains there, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, 
Yeah. But when you when you can do that, that's such a gift. Um, yeah, and you're more open to receive that way too. Yeah. Oddly enough, I, I in retrospect, I miss those times. I know that sounds so weird. It's you like, know what's funny? <laughs> I was actually going to ask you that yep. because, like, we had the benefit of like Clark, like, like we were able to talk like earlier on, like I think it was through two or three days ago now. But like the way you talked about that when we had talked, I was like. There was almost like a, this is such a profound and good experience. And while you were talking about to me about certain parts, I was like, I wonder if there's an aspect of that that he, like he misses of being able to be. So that makes sense. Yeah. And it's it's like eventually with the schedule that like of my mom's pain meds, the, it, it allowed a certain schedule. And I do super great with routine. And it allowed a certain schedule that there was a point where – yeah, I could just be there in the room with her for a couple hours or just be mm-hmm. there. And it was just quiet and we could be present. And yeah, there was something beautiful about that. And yeah, it's it's really hard to put into words, which is too bad for a podcast because that's all <laughs> podcasts are, right? They were just yeah. words. We found a way to make it work. You're fine. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, and there's something just delightful about the peace the sense of peace it felt like this is where we needed to be um there was no doubt and like in other conversations that we had with uh sister avelina joseph she had said that as long as um even though our bodies aren't really able to sustain that schedule like God will continue to give us the grace that we need. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. He will always make that available. And that, that it was just, it was so clear that that was part of it, that he was giving me the grace to be present and the confidence of things are going okay. Like death is still evil, no matter what form it takes. Right. Um, I'm pretty sure. Um, <laughs> but it, 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 it's going to be better than what it could have been or what it could be. And there's still beauty in it. And not in death, but in the situation, in the situation, in the connection that we could have with my mom. Yeah. And I wouldn't trade that for the world. Um, no, our, our relationship was way stronger with her. Yeah. By the end of, of those few months for, the first time in a long time I heard my mom say to me, I love you without an ounce of reservation. Yeah, that was, yeah, she didn't say those words often. Yeah. Um, like she would often say it and she would often act loving, but with her own scars, like emotional and relational scars, those words meant nothing. I believe that through what we had been doing especially um throughout uh, like what we did i think my mom believed that we actually met those words and i I, I believe that my mom saw that those words could have meaning again that she was lovable that we (laughs) we weren't just saying we loved her we did love her yeah Yeah. she was precious to us and that she's precious to god yeah well it sounds like god was able to use you guys to help her receive love so that she could then give love yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But there's just a couple things I wanted to ask. Like one, um, when she did die, could you just talk a bit about like what that was like uh, for you? 
yeah, when when she died, um, there were so many things that were still tough because, like, I mean, it's death, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So she had spent. It, it got to the point where she did end up going to the palliative care unit for about a week. We felt like we could keep going, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and but I mean, the thing is, is like we're not making these decisions in a vacuum. Yeah. Right. Like my siblings were going through their own struggles. Um, and I, I remember having a meeting with them and I had prayed, tell me something like, give me some guidance. And I was like praying like, uh, oh, come Holy spirit. Come like, just tell, tell, tell me what to do. Tell me what to, what to say. And the words like Thomas Aquinas's St. Thomas Aquinas's definition of love came to mind is like to love is to will the good of the other uh for the sake of the other as other right i was like okay well sure but i don't know what that's going to mean with the conversation and it was clear i could see how my siblings were suffering in their own ways and it was really tough but it was kind of clear that at that point and at that point my mom was actually it seemed like she was getting even closer to death that um to see if there was a room available in the palliative care unit was the way to go. So she was there and there was a little chapel that we could sit and pray in when we were there and, when or we'd sit in a room and there was a whole lot of peace there. Like it was great, but I was so hesitant about it earlier in the day before that conversation. Cause I knew that's what the conversation was going to be about. And one of my dear, dear friends who is responsible for my conversion to Christianity Partly. Well, uh, that's, that's a really cool story. <laughs> I'd love to hear more about that. We'll, 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 we'll save that for part two. <laughs> yeah. Um, so he's a doctor and he's also a palliative care. Part of his training is in palliation, palliative care. And he's a Christian. And we were sitting with him and his wife and their daughters had gone to bed and we were like really talking about this. And he said to me, he said, Clark, the care that they, that they're going to give your mom at the, at the unit is not the care that you're going to give. They are not you. They will not love your mom the way that you do, but the care that they give is very good. It's not you, but it is very good. And if I had to, if I had to be there, I would be happy to be there. I don't think he said happy, but like if I, when I am at that stage, that's where I would want to be. That's where I would want to go. Oh, wow. And he's someone who I absolutely respect his opinion and his thoughts and his conclusions. And so hearing that and then going to have that conversation with my siblings, I was like, okay, this isn't the worst thing. Um, Just because my mom goes to the palliative care unit doesn't mean that we've failed. Mm. Because mm-hmm. that's what we were struggling with, right? Yeah. Oh, and we gosh. realized that that's wow. what yeah. we were holding on to, that we needed to be there and have her at home all the time. Mm-hmm. As a reflection of, yeah, Our love for her. And I said to them, but I, I don't want it to be us forcing it on mom. And they said, absolutely. Absolutely. We don't want to force her. We want her to choose it. We sat down with mom. And by the grace of God, we managed to get her out of the, the bed in her room and into the living room for like an hour, which was the first time since. Anyway, it had been a while it was definitely, that she hadn't been out of her bed. Yeah. So it was a big deal that she had the strength that day to go into a chair. And, yeah. 
Yeah, so they had a conversation in the living room, and she was on board with the idea of going to the palliative care unit. Long way to get to the answer to your question. So no, just, you're fine. You're so fine. she was in the palliative care unit when she passed away. And um, ironically, Clark and I were not with her when she died. Yeah. After months. After so, <laughs> Yeah. Um, right? Like, so there was a day when the, the nurses called us and they were like, oh, everybody should come. Like, it's probably going to be soon. And yeah, so we were there. We, we went right away. And the siblings were there and we were all there. And then she was still holding on, still holding on. So we're like, okay, well, we might be here for the long haul. So let's go get phone chargers and, and lunch. Yeah. Because it, it, at that point, it was, they said it could be 24 hours. We had, right. we didn't know, right? So yeah. we're like, okay, yeah. let's just do a, we're like 10 minutes away. Let's just go home for a bit, grab some stuff so that we can stay overnight or just be there for as long as it, we're needed. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. then we're pulling into the parking lot and Clark's brother calls and says, Get, get here, here now. now. And by the time we walked in, she had passed away. Yeah. yeah. And so that's one, one thing that it is hard. I keep that the thought comes back into my head of like, that was a failure on my part, but I know that that's a lie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There's no failure there at all. Yeah. <laughs> like at all, because there's nothing like, no, yeah, not in the slightest. Not in the slightest. Like the, the this whole story is a story of insane courage on like both your guys' parts, and like this is a story of like of um victory and of um and just like real legit evangelization and like courage and like fortitude and all of the stuff that like you know everyone talks about. But like, very few, or and I, I mean, I'm not trying to like put it put anyone down. I'm I'm just um, not like, not like you guys obviously, but I mean like other people who talk about these things who are like, <laughs> I, I mean that like to hear what it actually like what this actually almost looks like is incredible. And it, it's I just I I've, the word courage just comes to mind a lot when I'm hearing you guys talk about this. So I think like you being gone for a bit and it just, it's just you know somehow that's how it happens. It's weird. Like we all, I think there are times yeah. we think there's going to be this like nice, we're going to get a boat, you know, like like a nice ending, <laughs> or, or like 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 th- like yeah. this is the good and holy death a person could pray for. This is this is an inc- wonderfully beautiful good and holy death. You know. Yeah. Yeah, and I mean that week, um, there were no signs of her suffering. Like yeah. she wasn't communicating. But uh, like I, I mean. Let me rephrase that. She wasn't using words. People Absolutely. can communicate yep. with their facial yep. expressions, right? If you yeah. move somebody and it hurts them, you'll mm-hmm. see it on their face. Yeah. So, yeah, that week she was, as far as we can tell, comfortable, yeah. um, mostly asleep. And she passed away in that sort of state. So, like, that last week, we don't have any reason to think that she was suffering, which is good. And yeah. she had two of her three kids by her side when she passed away. Yeah. And we had also been there shortly before and right after. Yeah. And so we did have some moments um, in the room with her body. Um, at that point, it's for our sake, not for hers, because she's yeah. passed on at that point. But at least for closure for us, we could yeah, say some final words right there. Yeah. Offer up a, a prayer and yeah, say goodbye to her physical reality and, and look forward to to reuniting with her in heaven. Yeah. 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 So now 
um, it's on me. I gotta get. I gotta get to heaven now. <laughs> Here now. Here's your other if. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Clark. <laughs> yes, Con. Oh man, he got through one. Can he do another? <laughs> if two. <laughs> oh, yes. Let's wow. not be presumptuous. No. I just. I just hope that my life is is not. Uh, Breakdance to Electric Boogaloo over here, you know, <laughs> the worst of sequels. Oh. I don't know if the well, first one is any good, but <laughs> is there a first? One? There must be. Uh, otherwise, why would there be two? It is also the name of Five Hard Frenzy's best album. So that's, there's, wh- there's that. that's why they named it that. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So because um, it was their second album. It, uh, um, <laughs> They're so self-effacing. I know. What do you think changed your mom's mind? Like when, when, when she got that call, like, you know, when you were expecting a call that could be the worst call, what, what do you think it was? Did she ever tell you anything or like, or was it just kind of somehow like a culmination of stuff that just she, she changed her mind? She didn't explicitly tell no. us. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah, no, despite the fact that communication was a big deal for her, mm-hmm. she wasn't actually sharing her, her deepest feelings mm-hmm. that yeah. often. Yeah. 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 So no, all we can do is guess based on putting the pieces together. But she didn't tell us this is what changed my mind. Yeah, yeah. Isn't it funny how like I, I've experienced this a lot just in different kinds of ministry or just or just like with life in general? It's like you think you're going to get that like one moment where like you know not even like a thing like you say, but like they say it to you <laughs> and you're like, oh, that's it. Yeah. Like and now like. And it's just like somehow she just did. Mm. <laughs> like, like, like it's obviously through like your prayers and like God's yeah. grace and like your work and you're like you guys like you you were a witness to love and this is why this is important. This is why yeah, this matters. And, and it, it, it can, showing her that she she could stay at home, right? And, yeah. and giving her the ability to do that because she wouldn't have been yeah. able to do that by herself. Yeah, yeah. Like and, and showing her that she was valuable yeah. no matter whether she was cooking for herself or not didn't matter if she was working or not like yeah. that she still mattered yeah that her presence was yeah valuable she, in and of itself she didn't need to merit value right like she yeah. didn't need to do anything for it yeah yeah well so. and like what a beautiful opportunity as well for her to be able to both receive and to give love you know like like after the like that you know may not have been there and it it just like our our stories are never done until they're done. Yep. You, you know. Yeah. So one of the things that the sister said was like, God pursues right to the very end. And he knows our hearts more than we do. Yep. Right. So mm-hmm. he knows exactly what she needed in order to totally to be open to a relationship with him. Yeah. Yeah. And another aspect of the story that I want to make sure that is communicated. Like we, we're not, we're not superheroes, right? Like we're absolutely not like it. It, it was tough. And definitely prayer and God's grace, but part of his grace is like he provided friends and other people as support, mm-hmm. um, in such weird ways. Like, um, one of our friends was going through a really hard time and was going through cancer treatment wow. and that friend brought us food. Like, I, I just, I was like, I want to give you food. Like, <laughs> what's going on here? And um, another another thing, like, it was so hard to like it, the schedule was so hard physically, and we were still we were getting close and close towards the end, like uh, the end of our rope. Like, just 
energy wise and physically unable to do this. We're like, we need another place. Just, you know, even if it's just to have for one night a week, we need another place so we could just sleep one night a week. And we started looking up listings and we found one that listed it. And it looked like it may have been possibly in the same building. We weren't confident because the listing was like, didn't really give it. Mm-hmm. So we called the, called the property management firm. I spoke with, with, uh, someone and I said, uh, yeah, do you have any units for rent? And like on a weekly ba- week to week basis or whatnot. And she said, yeah, uh, there's one on the, on such and such floor of the bill of this building. And I was like, it's the same building. And I was like, and it's the same floor. I was like, I wonder where it is. And, uh, she was like, uh, can I meet you at this unit in 15 minutes? I think so. Yeah. And in my mind, I'm like, it's on the same floor. I can definitely get there in 15 minutes. It's yeah. not that big of a building. So I get off the phone and I'm like, Andrea, I wonder where this room is. It sounds really close. I go and I kid you not. I open the door and staring right across at me is the number where I'm supposed to meet this. Oh, good Lord. That's Thank amazing. you. I look, yeah. It like, was so close incredible. that Andrea didn't need to connect to a different Wi-Fi network to do her work. Yeah, oh, so wow. I started working on our same Wi-Fi just across the hall <laughs> with a closed door. There's yeah, there you go. So she could work. So yeah. long oven. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> and and the uh, it also meant that the, the phone, the landline, I could bring over and have conversations with the doctors mm-hmm. without... In privacy. In, like in privacy. Yeah. Without yeah. the like, home care workers or whatever. So it was yeah. just like, yeah. wow, this is beautiful. <laughs> and then we started taking turns. So um, Clark would spend the night on the sofa couch and I would sleep in the other unit so that I could sleep a on a bed and b not be woken up every four hours mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. and then one night a week i would do the night shift and clark would have a night in the off. other unit yeah. and then my brother I was still would... working right so i couldn't do night shifts every day yeah yeah and but then my brother would at come least do one on the weekend and he would do a night on the weekend as well yeah. so we would yeah. both have a night off so th- that actually helped a huge huge bit like we aren't superheroes it does take a village. Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. No, wait. That's a different metaphor. Uh, but it's, you know, like... One that we just let America profoundly rejected. Yeah. yeah. Um, ooh. The, uh, like, the, the community is so good, right? Like, being able to help one another out and to what capacity we can. Like, my brother was helping to the capacity that he probably could at that point. Yeah. Um, yeah. And yeah. some of it is disposition, right? I talked a little bit earlier about um, changing your mindset around mm-hmm. suffering, like instead of seeking affirmation, yeah. instead recognizing it as an opportunity to be unified with Christ. So that's yeah. one example of just like changing the way you look at something can sometimes alleviate the suffering because it makes it easier to bear when you yep. think of it as beneficial or glorifying God or something positive. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and even just being honest with what's what's troubling you about something, right? Like, what's bothering you? Like, early on in the whole thing, in the whole affair, like, I, so as as I had always wanted to be a father, I, I even have, like, a list of the books that I would read at certain ages. and A mental list. A mental, a mental list. list. <laughs> um, I know it so well, I don't need to write it down. Um, and, a, and a list of, like, different movies to watch at different points and, like, uh, different video games to introduce and how to introduce them to video games and all that stuff. Um, and, but I don't have a kid and when someone's bedridden, like they do need to use the washroom 
and at the beginning I was like the it was I was really struggling and I remember talking to a friend of ours back here in Ontario and he's a nurse and I was like man I hate the fact that the first diaper I've changed is my mother's I just wanted to like I just it was just so so painful I was like why that just feels like such an injustice I didn't choose to be infertile um and our friend listened graciously waited and he said Clark that is painful but in the profession in the industry when that item is used for an adult we call them briefs and it's just like completely changed my mindset I was like because I had this weird attachment of the word diaper Mm -hmm. to a certain thing and it's like Mm-hmm. As soon as I changed, as soon as I was like, okay, briefs. And I just called them briefs and referred to them like that to my mom and changed her view as well. Gave her a little bit of hope because, yeah. I mean, yeah. it kind of sucks to think, oh, I have to wear a diaper. I'm mm-hmm. in my 60s and I have to wear a diaper. Like, mm-hmm. Yeah, words matter, right? Yeah, like, it, words it have changes meaning. the way you, <laughs> you perceive the thing and the way you engage with it. Clark yeah. was able to disassociate one pain from another so yeah. that they don't compound. And his mom was able to feel like she had a little bit more dignity. Yeah. She was a little bit more... Because what was... The, the way she thought of herself was a little bit better. Yeah. So... If there's anything that I think anyone can take away from this is that, like, things matter. You know? Like, things really, really matter. Like, the way we handle ourselves, the way things that we say, that it matters. It really does. Yeah. It really does. One of the, th- one of the things... It's... I know that, like... It's never too late to tell your mother you love her, (laughs) right? Like, uh, and to actually love, right? (laughs) I think that's part of the key is to actually, actually have that feeling. If you don't love your mother, I I don't know why you should tell her. But if you love your mother, you should definitely tell her that you love her. Definitely. I love you, mom. She's probably listening. Uh, (laughs) Ah, cool. So, uh, (laughs) and then she's going to be like, okay, Luke, I'm going to let these nice people talk. Cool. Well. Thank you both. Uh, this was profound. Um, thank you for your time. Thank you for your witness. Thank you just for almost sharing. Uh, thank you for being willing to talk about a thing that, um, you know, we often, like, like we talked about earlier, Gomer said, you know, people are scared to talk about um, death and scared to talk about, they're scared to talk about suffering. And we're often quite scared to talk about how do we navigate a world that, like, rejects all of it. Yeah. You guys experienced <laughs> that, like, firsthand. Like, you were Peter out out on the water just being like okay i guess i walk on water now um like thank you for being willing to um tell us about that about that experience i i'm very unworthy to be a part of this conversation because i hate suffering and i'm always just like yeah let me just put on these let me just put on a podcast and zone out that's how i'll handle this (laughs) um to be honest to be honest after like because it's like oh wow they're so holy wow they're amazing but that doesn't – we definitely revisited our own weakness when we came back. Oh, it yeah. It is so mm-hmm. crazy. The the boom tree, broom tree experience of Elijah in first Kings, second Kings, in Kings is, is so back. true. Like when he's <laughs> – somewhere in the back where he's, he like does this amazing thing on Mount Carmel and – you know, it's like proving God's existence against like the prophets of Baal. And it's like, Oh yeah, this is, whose God is real. The God of Israel is real. Oh, you know? And then he's like, I, it's, there's no hope. Nobody believes God. I'm alone. Ah. And I was like, no, you know, like yeah. he goes from 
this amazing event to struggling with his faith in God. And it's hard to, it's so easy to be, to not, I don't know, I'm, I'm failing out words, but no, <laughs> yeah. no I, I, to not be consistent. Right. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. like when we got back to Ontario, goodness, our prayer life was out the window. Yeah. It's so sad. Yeah. I thought like, Oh, look at this wonderful habit that I'd built up. <laughs> <laughs> well, and, and, and you know, it's funny. Like that's, um, I think there's something to like, how do I put this? Like what you guys experienced and in that 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 entire thing, that is, you're probably never going to go through that again. You know, you may go through something that's kind of like it. You may be on the, you may be on the, the receiving end of that. You may not, but like that is such a unique thing for a person to 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 experience that. It, I would ne- like don't beat yourself up because of that. I'm, I'm not saying that like you guys are, but it it um it has it, it like. You you are such better people because you've experienced this. Like you, just the way you guys are able to um, talk about this and the way that, like you said how it's you know helped your marriage and 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 stuff. But like very um, rarely do people take actually the like little daily habits that they t- during a thing like this and then apply it to their um life. So it t- makes total sense that you you'd be like oh I used to pray every day like well, how am I ca- I can you know I would pray like the morning like you know um i would do like on the morning prayer and i'm barely like saying grace before i eat now like what the heck and it's like yeah it's because this is like kind of like that's the except not 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 the exception because because it sounds like it's not real or 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 it's i'm not important it's it's that uh you're actually deeper than you think you are you know so like a lot of faith i think in my opinion is more of a concentric circle where it's like we we think we're like not as good as we were, but actually we're at like a much deeper level because of that. But we're just dealing with the stuff that we were doing before, and it's a little little bit more like obvious. So yeah, and part of it is like like we were literally in a different place. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, so part of it is t- trying to take what we learned from those situations and, mm-hmm. and applying it to yeah. to life in a different context. Right? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, like yeah. one of the things that helped me at the time continues to be something that I'm still working on. And that's the line in Philippians 4 of rejoice in the Lord. I say to you again, rejoice. And in all things, offer your prayers. Like, don't have anxiety. Offer your prayers with, um, I can't remember, something, supplication and thanksgiving. Oh, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then the, the line about... Um, uh, peace beyond all understanding like christ's like your hearts will i can't remember the exact wording i'm not good at quoting scripture clearly (laughs) (laughs) philippians four people um but basically the concept that saint paul while in prison was saying hey be joyful yeah and and be thankful yeah and so when we were in that moment that those five months um the idea that that really put it into perspective it's like because we can just talk about like yeah you should always be at, at peace and always have the joy of christ even when mm. it's hard but when it's not hard it's just an abstract thing when it, you're actually in the struggle and the suffering then it's like well okay what does that actually mean like mm-hmm. how do you mm-hmm. tap into that yeah um and we had moments of grace not the whole time not all five months but there were moments of grace when we experienced joy even yeah. in the mm-hmm. suffering and so then that gave me a feeling of what that 
looks like, what that feels like. And it gave me a concrete reminder that it is real and possible. So that Mm. later, like now, when we're going through difficult situations and feeling like we're losing our peace or that it's, we're struggling to find joy, it's a reminder of, oh, wait, if we were able to tap into that back then, it is possible to do that now. Yeah. Asking God for that grace to... Because the the source that we're tapping into is unchanging. Like God does not change. Yeah. We can tap into his grace and at any point it's like, even though... And like his, his promises and his words are true and that won't change. That's the best way to end this. <laughs> you guys, thank you again. Uh, this has been wonderful. Um, I don't know what else to say, but thank you. <laughs> Cause I, I truly, I mean that in the most profound way. Like, like, thank you. This has been one of my favorite conversations that we've ever had. Oh, that means oh, a lot thanks. to me. Um, I r- really mean that. Like this is, this is like, there's so much what you guys have like said. I'm just like, oh, like I, I just, I want to like, like use that in my own life, you know. And I just so, um, thank you just for being willing to uh, be willing to chat with us for three three hours. Oh uh, wow! <laughs> uh, so, uh, yeah, um, Gomer will no, put it's on. It's been like, good. Yeah, thank you for having us. Yeah, we really appreciate the, the opportunity to explore yeah. these things and to share it. Right. And yeah. Hopefully, it'll be a blessing to other yeah. people. Yeah. yeah. Nice. Yeah. Um, it's so funny. Like my gut instinct is to be like, ask because I always try to. Anytime that we have a guest, I'm always like, well, "Do you have anything you want to promote?" <laughs> I can feel that like a muscle memory coming up. I'm like, no, no, this is not that. <laughs> but anything uh, you want to promote? <laughs> so Clark's working on a book. When it's published and comes out, please buy, buy my it. Book. It has nothing to do with palliative care. Excellent. It is fantasy. <laughs> Oh, That's there, awesome. there, there are characters who die in it. <laughs> oh, man. But the book's not out yet, so you can't Spoiler find it. Spoiler alert. I can't wait to read this. Uh, you could do a sponsorship here for free. Uh, <laughs> pending. Go, uh, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> pending, we're, we're still around when it happens. Oh, yeah. Well, we'll, we'll uh, I'll, I'll do my best to get it published <laughs> somehow. I don't know. It's an adventure. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. Thanks for the chance i guess say bye to gomer for yeah that, it's too bad we couldn't I say will. goodbye to him but um oh you're fine, you're fine. <laughs> i'm i'm gonna oops i almost hit the leave button which would have really um, messed up everything 